The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Matt Seidel, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcasts on the social suplex podcast network jeremy donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll preview Power Struggle, answer listener questions, and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level, and you can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how was your Halloween weekend, man? Oh, uh, yeah, pretty good. Um, Not as much um, trick-or-treating. Let me ask you something, okay? Now that we're on the subject, and now that my girlfriend's, you know, off at hot works working out or whatever the fuck it's called <laughs> she's had some gimmick where you work out in like a sauna and some shit so mm, hot hot yoga gimmick no nah, it's like you do like pilates and like ride a bike it's and there is some yoga but you, you can do a bunch of different shit uh i don't know i think it's called hot works i don't know but uh maybe it's not maybe it's some other shit anyways um we got into a fight right because uh um, not a fight. That's overstating. A disagreement. When you were a kid, how did you trick or treat with your parents? Did they go with you? Uh, sometimes it depended. I guess it depended how young I was. But sometimes, like my dad would go with me. Okay, so when you're young and your parents go with you, did they carry a, a sack or, but you know, bucket like a little jack o' lantern as well to also get candy, quote unquote, for you? No, they did not. I had, really? No, I had I had my one like bucket or whatever thing, gimmick I had bag whatever it was, and once it was bro. full, it was full. What full? There's no such thing, bro. Okay, listen. Maybe I don't know. Maybe this is, she said this was some poor family shit, and maybe it is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like we didn't have a bucket. We had fucking. We took the 
pillowcases and you can't fill that shit up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's going to be impossible. And my, the parents would trick or treat too. And you know, it wasn't just my family. Like all my friends' parents would always bring an extra bag. Back then, I don't think we were as worried about the kids having too much candy. In fact, a lot of that candy can get eaten by like the general family unit, Mm -hmm. but like the whole family would not the whole family, but like the parent and the kid would both go dress up, both get candy it's all for the kid wink wink you know yeah it's all it's all good now let me tell you the gimmick that i saw this weekend so i i went trick-or-treating with my girlfriend's uh, nephews and her uh, sister-in-law and her brother and so what they did was they brought like um grocery bags and so the kids they would fill up their buckets and then once their buckets were filled they would dump it in the grocery bag so their bucket was empty and then then keep going yeah, 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 that's smart too. Um, yeah, so I made a joke about like, yeah, I can't wait till I have kids so I can go trick or treating again. And she's like, "What are you talking about?" And I explained. She's like, "You don't do that." And I was like, "Yeah, like my whole life, that's what my family did, and all my friends' parents did." And she's like, "No, I've never heard of that." Keep in mind, this is coming from the same woman who did not know that you can only knock on the doors with the porch light on. She didn't she's know like, that. No, bro. She was that, like, that's, gonna... that's like trick or treating 101. I know. I know. <laughs> I've explained. She thinks I'm lying. She thinks I'm lying about this. I was like, no, you only knock the doors that have the like porch light on. She's like, but what if they like forgot to change the light bulb? You just never know. You got, and I was like, I guarantee you those people do not want you knocking on. Right. Doors. Like nine out of 10 times. Like if the porch light's on, it's because they, they don't want to be bothered. Like move on to the next house. So yeah, we come from different upbringings, but like, fuck it. When I get old enough to have kids, which I guess I, you know, I'm back on social media a little bit. I, I got back on the Facebook gimmick right in time for Meta to be unveiled. <laughs> Great timing. Uh, gonna enter the metaverse, man. Yeah, been reconnecting with uh, you know, friends and you know, old school classmates, shit like that. And uh, they've all got kids. I'm like, fuck. I'm like, it's weird because we, in our friend group, there's a lot of us who don't really have kids. So to me, it's super normal to be in our like early to mid thirties and, you know, fuck it, you know, out here living my best life, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta get these FIP tickets. <laughs> <laughs> trying to trying to go to Texas for WrestleMania weekend, you know? Right. I, I see people, like, worried about, like, you know, getting school supplies and, you know, all this stuff for the kids. I'm like, man, what's the next wrestling show I'm going to? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just say that to say I am old enough to have children, apparently. It just doesn't really occur to me that much until I, like, look around. And I've got literally, like, one of my best friends growing up. His, like, daughter is, like, 16. He just bought a car for her. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) This is crazy. You had a kid 16 years ago? Like, what do you even do with your life, bro? Oh, my gosh. So, anyways. uh, But to answer your question, I had a good uh, Halloween weekend. I didn't get to watch many spooky movies as I like to. uh, But we did go out Halloween Eve, Devil's Night. That's what we call it. in What's it called down here? That's what it is in Detroit. It's Devil's Night. Uh, I just think it's just Halloween night here. I don't think they have no, a... no, no. The night before Halloween. Oh, the night before Halloween. Yeah, isn't that like every All Hallows Eve? I don't know. Every place has a different name for it, but in uh, yeah, in Detroit, it's Devil's Night. But we went out mixers. I dressed up as a uh, fucking um, special agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks, 
AKA I didn't want to go get a outfit. So I wore a suit, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, we went hard, bro. We went hard. Yeah. I was fucking, I sang a sweet transvestite from a Rocky horror picture show. So I did that for karaoke. That was an experience. Nice. Yeah. We had a good time. You, You do anything crazy. I know you went trick or treating. Yeah, so the day before on um, Saturday, went uh, me and my girlfriend went to one of my coworkers had a uh, costume party, and so went there. Uh, we were Jack and Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas, and so yeah, had a good time hanging out there. I'm telling you this much: next year, if uh, the person I'm with, if it's my girlfriend or just whoever in life, whoever wants to support me, it doesn't really matter. If they don't have the kind of love for me where I can cosplay as Darby and they want to go as Sting, then I don't want it. Okay. <laughs> oh man. That that's like the ultimate like couple costume right there. Absolutely. Well, all right, man. Let's uh jump into some NJPW. We have a ton in the paint. <laughs> Uh, we have a, a ton of stuff to uh, talk about here this week. Uh, first, we got to talk about the October Wrestler of the Month and Match of the Month. So, you know, we had the conclusion of the G1 at the, the end of October. A lot of great matches, a lot of wrestlers really having great performances. Uh, so, young boy, tell us who is the Wrestler of the Month. Yeah, uh, this was a tough call. Uh, kind of came down to two individuals who both had exemplary October months. Uh, really came down to Zack Sabre Jr., who had a great month, but we felt he got edged just slightly performance-wise as well as in kayfabe by the Rainmaker, Kazushika Okada, the winner of this year's G1. Fantastic performances against Jeff Cobb and... Tai Chi. He also had a really great match with. Uh, I'm trying to recall what the other one was. What the Okada? Yeah. So he had Tai Chi, Sonata, and Cobb. Uh, that's who it was. It was Sonata. Yeah. Plus, I mean, he had a you know surprising shock upset loss to Tamatanga. You know, and then uh, the unfortunate um, G1 Finals against Ibushi was, which was really shaping up to be a great match just prior to that accident. So, you know, a lot on his resume for the month and. Uh, he is our wrestler of the month, you know, uh, injury or no injury, because he's go Okada. Right. I felt he really peaked towards the end of the tournament. Like, he started off, you know, there were good matches, but I think as that closing stretch came, he really had a lot of bangers towards the end, where Sabre, like, started off hot and then kind of went down a little bit, was consistent, and then started peaking again right at the end. But, yeah, like you mentioned, I think Okada edged him out just a little bit there. But then uh, looking at the match of the month for October, we're going to go with Kota Ibushi versus Shingo Takagi. And, you know, it came down between this match and the the Cobb and Okada B-Block final match. But we decided to go with Ibushi and Shingo across the board. That is the highest ranked match for October on cage match on grapple. I rated both match equally four and a half. But, you know, we did we mentioned last week we, we gave that. Cobb Okada four and a half we gave it that extra quarter because of you know the, the atmosphere and the stakes of it being a G1 final when yeah it, it makes me it makes me question maybe we should maybe we're a little overrated on that you know yeah um and then Bushi and Shingo like it was a straight four and a half like it didn't matter the atmosphere like that match was straight up four and a half I think Dave gave it like four and three quarters yeah I think he did yeah which you know 
I don't know. He'd be overrating shit, though. <laughs> uh, speaking of David, you see the uh, the John Morrison uh, Meltzer costume that he wore? Yeah, I did, which was fantastic. <laughs> uh, I heard there's rumor that he might have been inspired to do that because of the comment made by Dave back in the day that he had better abs than John Morris. <laughs> yeah. And the best part was like Dave, like getting reports from the Halloween party that nobody knew who Morrison was dressed up as. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, I bet you they all knew they just kayfabed him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe maybe that's the goal. Maybe next year I go as uh, you know Big Dave with the mullet. Like we should all, you know, what we should do all be different versions of Dave. All be different versions of Dave Meltzer <laughs> through the years. Oh man, gotta start working on those curls. We gotta get those guns looking right. I want to be Phil Donahue, Dave, with the mullet and the double-breasted <laughs> suit with the shoulder pads. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, uh, we have a question here from Dom Homie 101. He says, any thoughts on the Japanese government removing some of the COVID-19 restrictions and how will this affect New Japan? So the new uh, restrictions or removal restrictions, events held across Japan can have 5,000 spectators of 50% venue capacity or 50% venue capacity, whichever is larger. With large-scale event spaces allowed to accept more than 10,000 spectators spectators in Tokyo and other regions that were under a state of emergency events that will see spectators shouting and cheering will be capped at 50% or venue capacity. Yeah, that's great news. I mean, we've been waiting for an update on, you know, the protocols and, you know, everything like that. Uh, you know, the numbers have gone down drastically. Um, I, I do wonder Hypothetically, Jeremy, if uh, remember when we first got the vaccine and then our numbers went down and then there was a surge afterwards. Yeah, I'm wondering if that might still happen in Japan or if that's uh, because I know that their numbers were going down along with ours, like concurrently. And then they spiked again. Yeah, right. And that was even without the vaccine. So I don't know if. uh, that was just a general trend or, you know, I, I, I'm not making a claim one way or the other. I don't know. But I'm wondering if because we had the vaccine and then we saw a spike afterwards, if that trend is going to follow or if that's more of like a Delta issue. And since they've kind of already probably likely been exposed to Delta, uh, maybe they'll kind of be spared from that. I mean, I think the thing's still kind of unpredictable. But, I mean, the good news is the numbers are down and they seem to be staying down for the time being. So, you know, if that means things eventually get to start opening up and, and everything like that, I mean, I don't see how that could be anything but a positive. Right. And I mean, increased capacity. Also, you can get more people into the building, do uh, better, better gates for some of these shows. Um, the interesting thing is New Japan is going to have to make a tough choice. Are they going to go for the uh, 50% capacity of, of a building, get that 5,000 or... Do they want fans to um, clap and uh, go with the the fifty the half of that? Hmm. Well, yeah, it is a tough decision because I mean, I assume for bigger shows they're going to want to pack out the shows, but it's going to be a weird juxtaposition when you have smaller shows where people are able to make noise, and then um, larger shows where they're just still unable to. You know, right. And the other weird thing, too, is like, I think those things 
and this is just a theory, but I think they feed one into another. You know, you need exciting big shows to make the smaller shows, you know, uh, noteworthy and, you know, sort of keep the people invested and have their fan involvement with the cheering and everything like that, uh, a major part of it. When you have show, like, let's say if you have a big show, right, and it could be a great show, but the people can't really get involved and everything like that. I have a feeling that there's a good chance that when they go to those smaller shows, even though they're allowed to be, you know, boisterous and, and cheer and everything, they might not do it as much. And maybe I'm wrong on that, but you know, um, maybe they're because they haven't been able to for so long, it won't matter. And, you know, but we have seen the numbers of attendance have gone down significantly. And I'm sure a lot of that is atmosphere based and, you know, a lot of factors. So, it's hard to truly say, but uh, yeah, they've they've got to be pretty strategic here in what they end up doing. I mean, because I feel like what they've been doing over the, has not been working, you know, personally. Just, uh, you know, the numbers don't lie right? when it comes to that. And for example, so, you know, for people who can get a better picture, like this weekend, Power Struggle, I believe the uh, capacity where they're at is going to be 5,000. So if they wanted fans to cheer, they would have to cut that in half to 2,500. Um, so that that's the kind of pickle they're going to be in going forward. Yeah. And I mean, the way you're kind of positioning it is more like money based, which is also an important consideration. What I was bringing up was more just based on, uh, you know, fan interaction, atmosphere, things like that. But at the end of the day, it's still a business and they're primarily a live touring business. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, they're going to do what's going to be best for the bottom line. Right. And, you know, we do have, you know, the World Tag League Best of the Super Junior Tour coming up, which is obviously not that – it's not the <laughs> biggest tour of the year. And so I think they might just kind of do what they were doing for that tour. And then, you know, you come in Wrestle Kingdom, you come in hot, and maybe by by Wrestle Kingdom time, things are even better. And you can strategically do some things to get some uh, fan interactions for uh, those three shows. If if they will. Right. If they will interact at that point. Right. Uh, so next question here from a uh, Reddit user fit underscore beautiful two six three eight says how re- how relieved were you to finally realize that they were only putting three Road to Power Struggle shows on World LOL. Yeah, I mean, I kind of made up in my mind post show. I was like, I'm not watching nine <laughs> fucking Road to shows. I don't give a fuck, especially especially since like I was like they're uh, also repetitive. So I already could, like decisioned in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> not to do that um but yeah so then once we realized like oh we went over all those shows for no reason which keep in mind we we don't have a, a long track record of doing that on this show well we didn't we, we didn't read the cards for those shows we, we talked over the shows that happened before oh, we yeah, recorded yeah. which actually was the end of the televised road two shows um, and we just said, go to the, the website to check out the rest of the schedule. So we didn't even really Okay, so our streak is intact. Yeah. Okay, because it felt like we were because I was reading them all and I was like, God, oh my God. Like, look. <laughs> I was like, look at these these cards. <laughs> they look like Largo Loop, like NXT cards. Like, there's nothing of substance. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I I think we're both uh, pretty relieved that that's the case. Yeah. Which our- makes – it makes more sense, actually. Yeah, it does. You know, they, they capped it off with the big uh, junior tag title win with Flying Tigers uh, beating Despy and Kanemaru. So, yeah. So, 
Yeah, I was very happy about that. <laughs> but even, even still, we obviously, even though we didn't discuss them all, we still obviously didn't know that they weren't all going to air. Otherwise, we wouldn't have made the comments we made last week. And we, we don't have a long track record of uh, you know making that sort of mistake on the air. We're usually pretty astute. So, you know. Yeah, you know. Give, give us that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, next we cover the whole G1, a.k.a. Jeremy cover the whole G1. <laughs> Uh, next question from Razor Grunty Dodds is what is going to be the cutoff for your year end awards? Power struggle, battle in the valley. So I guess we can uh, figure that out right now. Yeah, so that was another thing last week. You you mentioned the end of November, and I thought about it, and I was like, you know, generally it's always the start of Super Junior Tag League. Right. I meant, I meant I meant the the ballot would be available at the end of November. Not that we were. Wow. Why would the ballot be available? It starts with uh, World Tag League. What do you mean? That our calendar year usually runs until World Tag League. That right. is the cutoff. Right. I thought. So well, it, no, I thought we cut off. World, uh, World Tag League starts November thirteenth. We've never cut it off before World Tag League. That's always been the the apps like the day world tag league starts is usually the day that we that's the cutoff yeah start start tracking for the new year right so the world tag league starts november 13th okay yeah Yeah, yeah. and that's that sounds about right i mean that's what it normally is it's usually mid-november right yeah and so but you but you said that that would be available did you say by the end of november yeah oh i mistook i was thinking the beginning okay that would be (laughs) i don't know what's going on uh well let let me look on a cage match i'm looking at the events that they have um, so battle in the valley is the same day as the first day of the world tag league huh um that's gonna have to go on next year okay it, it just i mean i don't know what do you think because i mean that the traditionalist in me has always said world tag league that's that's next year shit <laughs> <laughs> Um, and there is a part of me that, that could like maybe make an exception for it because, but because it's in the States, but if you really think about it logically, the first day world tag league takes place earlier in that morning. Right. So it's clearly grandfathered into world tag league territory. So, and before that it's, um, power struggle is the last, uh, last date, oh, November 6th. And then. Then, you know, no, then we then move on off. to November 13th. So I'm thinking, I'm, you know what? Traditionally, that is the deal. Power Struggle is usually the last show of the calendar year for us. Right. I think that's I think that's a lock, right? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, initially, I was thinking kind of like you, maybe we kind of grandfather, kind of slide in Battle in the Valley in the States. But yeah, you make a great point. Yeah, um, day one of World Tag League slash Best Super Juniors will happen earlier in that day so yeah we'll just count battle in the valley as a part of the following year's uh awards hey you really really like that match okada's gonna be involved when vote for it next year in the uh write it down and hope you remember <laughs> <laughs> write it down and hope you remember for the 2022 <laughs> uh but uh, speaking of Keeping o- a strong style awards speaking of okada uh we had some more comments from him uh revolving the g1 win and the return of the v4 iwgp heavyweight title so he said, this belt has been important to me and that is my connection to abushi while i wait for him to come back he retired the belt, and it's, it isn't being used right now, so why not? 
in the past, G1 winners had a briefcase. I'll have a belt. I'm not calling myself the IWGP champion, but I'll have the belt until Ibushi comes back, he said. Uh, when he's asked if he would hold both belts, should he win the IWGP World Heavyweight title at Wrestle Kingdom, Okada replied, no, I'm not going to go for any convoluted stuff. All this is right now is I want to protect the belt like it was my contract briefcase. And after, <laughs> after that, we'll cross the bridge when we come to it. I mean, at the end of the day, briefcases for a G1 champion, pretty old hat, wouldn't you say? A briefcase really wouldn't match my ring gear right now either. I think it's easier for casual fans to understand that winning the G1 makes you important, makes you a leader, and gives you the responsibility to fire things up. Even though I'm not an IWGP champion, I aim to be more important than the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. On another level, you might say. And speaking about Shingo Okada, said, bro, he's like the most. He's like a fuck boy, bro. <laughs> he's the most toxic fucking talker ever. Like everything he says is like one one way and then the other way. Like this shit that he's saying doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Like, listen, as, as someone who went on an extensive Tinder World Tour in my. Uh, <laughs> Single days. I I know about talking out of both sides of my mouth, and that's exactly what this dude's doing right now. Yeah, dude. Like, oh, I'm not the champion, but oh, but I, I'm more important than the champion. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that shit wouldn't go in my ring gear anyway. Like, he literally is giving every excuse for why he needs to hold it. I'm not the IWGP champion, but I'm going to hold this belt anyways because I don't – I mean, a briefcase? Come on, dog. But, like, am I holding it, you know – I don't want to convolute anything, but, you know, if I win in the Tokyo Dome, when we cross that bridge, we'll get there. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I don't want it's to convolute like, anything, but I'm going to introduce this new title, bring back a this, title. <laughs> this sounds like a, a douchebag, right, who's been hooking up with a girl or guy or whatever, hooking up with somebody, and then they get that, that fateful talk. What are we? Oh well. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't like putting labels on anything. You I, know? Put, I mean, I told you in the beginning that I wasn't, you know, emotionally ready for anything too serious. But I, I do like you a lot. I want to keep seeing you. Like, but I'm just not ready to put a label on. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? <laughs> just say you want to bring the IWGB title back. You're right. <laughs> So uh, when he's asked about Chingo, he said, "Do your job as champion." Fire things up in your own way. Look, in 2012, I was the first one to have a contract for Wrestle Kingdom made after I won the G1. Since then, the winner got a shot. But now, winning my first G1 in seven years, I felt like, no. Being the G1 winner is being a champion in its own right. <laughs> Look, this thing of G1 equal IWGP Championship Challenge has been something people have taken for granted for the last few years now. But winning the G1, being a G1 winner, that's being a champion and in of itself. Takagi should believe in himself more, fight like a champion, have the fans believe that he and the world title really is the be-all and end-all. It's weird that he seems scared by it all. Let's keep in mind that Shingo beat this man twice this year. (laughs) And then he finally says, look, I lost to the IWGP Intercontinental Champion back in the day. That's why I really want to carry myself as the G1 champion, not the World Heavyweight Challenger. I don't think that I will lose out of the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. I don't think the G1 is as important as the world title. I think it's more important than the world title. After all, the world champion was in that tournament, but he didn't win. I did. That's why I said backstage that he should be challenging me, not the other way around. At the end of the day, 
I want to dispel the idea that winning G1 makes you a challenger. After all, G1 only comes once a year. I might have said all sorts of things when I was IWGB Heavyweight Champion, but that was then. This is now. <laughs> <laughs> I plan to be doing my job as champion, and if the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion does the same, well, that can only be a good thing. So then Boots Bro. and Burns asks, he says, Okada recently said that during the pandemic he wanted to experiment and turn a negative into a positive. I wouldn't say introducing the KLPW trophy using the money clip and adding a third title into their already messy main event scene is a positive. What do you think? <laughs> That's what I think. I, I give my, uh, you know, hands, hats off to you. Boots and burns. Um, I agree with everything that you just said there because this man, uh, Okada, although he may be a great wrestler and although he may be one of the greatest of his generation, he's a fucking grifter, okay? (laughs) The IWGP heavyweight title is a grift, all right? And and also, he's gaslighting Shingo Takagi. This is some toxic shit right here. I don't know if you noticed. Uh. Talking about he needs to get fired up. This man carried this company on his back. Bro, Shago was the freaking long. wrestler of the year, bro. <laughs> when Okada was off doing God knows what, Shingo was carrying this company. He's like, well, I don't know, man. Maybe you should try to fire up like me. And Shingo beat him twice this year. <laughs> Shingo beat his fucking ass. <laughs> Dude. Okada sounds like like maybe some of this is um you know lost in translation and I might chalk some of it up to that but dude the way he's talking he sounds like a heel man and, and you know what I bet you there's people that are listening like oh they keep it a strong style thinks Okada's going heel no I don't but like listen to how arrogant these like remarks are they sound so like just petty bro they're toxic dude like yeah, and now and now these comments are starting to sway me away from liking where we're going. Like last yeah. week, I had, I kind of had a positive light. Like, yeah, each guy has their own kind of valid reason for calling himself a champion. But if you're gonna go with the route that, well, I'm better than the world champion. Like what, bro? I I already made my extensive remarks about that. I'm not gonna reiterate all those points, but. This shit wouldn't have flied if Okada was the world champion. We all know that shit. Okay. You know, you can't, you can't just change the rules mid game because they don't suit you. You know, was being the, the, the G one winner or a grand prix winner always important. Yes. Was it always more important than being the man, the guy that carried the gold belt around the company? Fuck no, no, it never was. Oh, also while we're on the, while we're on the discussion of, gold belts and g1 winners how about the other week when we went to uh dynamite live (laughs) yeah in orlando in orlando some dude was walking around cosplaying as hulk hogan i i forgot to bring this up last week on the show and rich made the comment like yelled out to the dude because he was on the ground floor he was like stop cosplaying as a racist and me being sarcastic turned to rich and i was like a racist former IWGP heavyweight champion, Rich. (laughs) And some dude behind us turned to me and decided to give me, oh, well, actually, he never was IWGP champion. 
And I I could have easily been like, do you know who the fuck you're talking to? <laughs> but I didn't. I just turned, no, yeah, he was. And he goes, well, no, what he won was actually the G1. It was the equivalent to today's G1. And I was like, no, he was the champion. <laughs> they gave him a belt. He had to defend it the next year. <laughs> and he was like, but it, it's not the same thing as the IWGP title. I was like, dude, I never said it was the same thing as the IWGP title. I was like, why are you in my conversation right now? Like, So, yeah. Yeah, I totally missed that conversation. I was on the, on the far end. Oh, you missed that? I had no idea that happened. Yeah, bro. This dude tried to, well, actually me and Rich. And like, Rich was like looking at me like, what the fuck is this dude's problem? <laughs> Oh I man! Looked, I just looked at him and I was like, "Bro, you have no i you have no fucking idea." Right? Talking now. to one half of the Ace of Podcasts, Mark. Mark, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so Okada sucks. So let's move on. <laughs> let's uh, do our power struggle prediction. So power struggle is no, but for real. Before we do that, uh, are d- this really does make you feel like less? optimistic about the uh the whole triple gold dash yeah because like i I, like i said last week all right each guy has their valid reasons for why their champion chingo's the actual champ osprey never lost it okada won the g1 he wants a prize to you know symbolize he won the g1 fine but this whole oh well my prize is better than the world title now keep in mind like osprey is not saying his title's "Quote unquote better, like he he just thinks he is the world champion. So Shingo and Osprey, he's, he's the real world champion. He never got beat by Shingo, right? So they they're kind of like on the same level. Well, Okada's saying he's above both of them. That his title that he just brought out is is better and more important than the world championship, which to me devalues Shingo even more. It don't matter. Real ones know what the deal is with Shingo. He beat that ass all year. So. <laughs> So yeah, I guess we'll you know we'll see what happens. We'll see where they go. But yeah, uh, I'm losing some optimism here. Try to tell you. So yeah, power struggle. This is coming up Saturday, November the sixth, four a.m. Eastern time on NJPW World. We have a stacked card. Jeremy, take us through it. Let's let's give people for the first time in literally, it feels like years. A nine man, a nine match card in the middle. That's that's not a Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, you know, that is full of no bullshit. It's just a straight up classic, strong New Japan show. Yeah, it's, it's a very strong show. So we'll start with the opening contest. We're gonna have Yoshinobu, Kanemaru, and Doki taking on Rihoi Oiwa and Kosei Fujita. Oh, this is easy. I mean. Kenamaru is great, but his best years are behind him back in Noah and Doki. That's he's a fucking, you know, grifter from Mexico. Oiwa and Fujita are the truth. They're real wrestlers. They're real shooters. They're gonna fuck these dudes up and shock the world. I'm riding with the young boys. <laughs> oh man, that that would that would be a pretty crazy like if they just pulled like, a crazy upset like that. Uh, I don't I don't even know what we would do. We'd be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um yeah, Kenamaro's gonna hit one of them. What's Kenamaro's finisher, anyways? The deep impact, the DT yeah, off the top rope. He's gonna hit a deep impact on. Uh, I'm gonna say Fujita and uh, put these, you know, punks to bed. 
yeah, Suzuki Gun getting the win here. I, I would like to see Doki uh, pick up the win, but we'll see what happens. I would like Doki to win too. What's Doki the Doki Choki, but what's his real finisher? The uh the that uh that German thing they just uh I forget what it's called. It's like some Spanish name. It's like moon like moon suplex something. I forget. But see Jeremy's the moves guy on the show. Like if if it came down the two things that I'm not good at that Jeremy's good at are moves, finishing moves and theme songs. Like you can literally play me almost any New Japan theme song, and I'm not going to know who the fuck it's for. Yeah, you hear the coin drop, and you're like, uh, Naito. Naito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to look up. Oh, yeah, there it is. Suplex de la Luna. It's that bridging wheelbarrow dragon suplex that he does. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, Suzuki Yun's going to pick up the win. And uh, that's probably going to take them into the Super Junior Tag League soon, right? Uh, well, best Super Juniors starting. Did the Junior Tag League just... Oh, that already happened uh, yeah, a few that, months ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> this year's been a mess. Yeah, it has been. So after that, we got the Unchained Gorilla, Togi Makabe, Tomaki Hanma, Tiger Mask. They're taking on the team of the Bullet Club, Tingaloa. Gato and Jado, and when we're talking Bullet Club, we're talking the A team of Bullet Club here. OGs, yeah, the OGs. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a uh, Makabe coming out all taped up. Uh, Tiger Mask now one half of the Junior Tag Team Champs. I mean, you, you got any chance that Gato and Jado win over Tiger Mask to set up a title challenge? For him and Robbie Eagles, you could do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I, I have a hard time seeing Gato or Jado getting the win here. But I mean, you could have yeah, Tangle. There's a lot of things that have happened in this company in the last like 12 months that I wouldn't do. Right. You, you could have Tangaloa easily hit ape shit on Hanma and get, and get the win for the Bull Club side. I mean, you could, but what's the point? Like, the G1 already happened, and, you know. Dude kind of shit the bed, so I don't know what to tell you. you Got to heat him up a world tag league. I guess. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to go with uh, Makabe Hanma and Tiger Mask. Via what method? Um, convince <laughs> 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 me here. Now, now I think about it, man. I'm looking like who would who would win on that side? It'd have to be Makabe. Uh, it could be Tiger Mask if you want to make you know dominant junior tag champ. You could have Tiger they, Mask. They don't give a fuck about those belts. <laughs> it's got to be Makabe. Makabe is on a cooking show. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's let's go then. Makabe, uh, King Kong knee drop on Gator Ojado. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take because uh, it doesn't matter. Tangaloa. He's gonna hit Tomaki Hanmo with ape shit. The 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 one person that you're like God. I don't want to see take this move. It's, it's gonna, gonna take be him. it. <laughs> That's what's happening. <laughs> so then, after that, we got Blue Justice, Yuji Nagata, teaming up with Fritz Gaguchi and Master Wato, and they will take on the Lij team of Sonata, Hiromu Takahashi, and Bushi. Uh, Takahashi in the shorts. Yeah, he's been rocking the shorts and on those road two shows. New look. Oh man. Um... I don't know. I mean, I'm just inclined to go like LIJ because like what the fuck are we going to do with like that Hante group, you know? 
Right. I mean, the only thing, again, if they want to do an upset gift to Gucci, well, I guess no, I'm thinking Tag League again. It's You could have Taguchi or Wato beat Hiromu. Right. To really give some heat going into World Tag League or into. See, this is why I don't fucking like that they got World Tag League and Super Junior or Best Super Juniors like linked as one like thing, you know? Right. Yeah. Intrinsically, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think LIJ will probably just end up getting the win here. Well, you convinced me. I'm going with a lot of shock upsets here. So I'm going (laughs) to say. Uh, Wato hitting the the RPP on Hiromu. Wato hits the RPP on Bushi. Fuck him. <laughs> oh man. So let's talk about a match that actually has some real stakes and some uh, real you know implications. Yes, the never open weight six man tag team championship match. The champions Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi will defend their coveted titles against the House of Torture. Evil. Yuro Takahashi and show. I don't know why you refer to them that way. They're bullet club through and through, okay? They they are the, the house of torture unit of the bullet club. Yeah. And they're too sweet, okay? Ain't <laughs> <laughs> hey, nothing sweet about that unit. <laughs> no nobody talked this way about the fucking elite when they were part of the bullet club, okay? <laughs> um I think the time has come for the legendary title reign of Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi, which, by the way, my picks for tag team of the year. Yeah, I mean, they have a pretty strong case. I have a hard time seeing anybody beating them. They have a fucking strong case. I bet this is going to be like that time when uh, Trump should have (laughs) won, but Biden fucking stole the election. Oh man! No, I'm I'm just joking. I, guys, well, I, I started laughing because I thought you were gonna go back to like when the young the when Hillary. No, when um, War Raiders oh, should have won Tag Team of the Year, but Young Bucks won. But then you went political. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, just to be clear, like I'm pretty much a libertarian. I don't fucking like Donald Trump. But uh, if you guys haven't seen it, the um, documentary on HBO Max about the January 6th insurrection is mind blowing there's like obviously we all followed it and saw it but like the footage that they show is stuff i've never seen and it's fucking scary so that's a big recommend for me if you haven't seen that go out of your way to check it out but um back to the matter at hand um you know this man evil he was the never six man champion um just prior to vacating the belts when he jumped ship to bull club when that happened it prompted a tag title tournament to take place and goto and ishii and yoshihashi won the title in a dramatic fashion beating out the other chaos team which included okada at the time which was very emotional seeing yoshihashi win the the belts for the first time and since then they've gone on a slew of legendary title defenses big cork and hall main events Time and time again, they've knocked it out of the park. I don't think they've had a single actually bad title defense with the Never Six Man titles. No, so, I think like the minimum three and a half. And then, yeah, like, and I think that involved a match that had Gato and Jado both in it, and it was still like very passable, you know. So 
these guys have fucking killed it, but the time has come after over a year to finally pass those belts off to a team that needs it. And I think Evil, Yujiro, and Sho are that team to defeat them. Three, you know, you're talking about two guys that just came off of the G1 and another guy that's going to be the junior ace of this sub collective group who defected to the bull club just recently and is going into his first super juniors as a heel. I, I'm pretty sure considering all the shenanigans, all the healdom, all the shit that's, you know, pretty much plagued new Japan since COVID started, this team's picking up the win hook or crook. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think yeah, House of Torture Unit will become the new Never Open Weight six-man champions this weekend. You know, we've seen all the reports and stories of, you know, Dick Togo wanting to give this group the push, and he was, you know, lobbying for Evil to win the, the world title and also the, to bring show into the unit. So, got to throw these guys a bone here, and, you know, Dick Togo's probably, you know, give, give us something. And so, these guys are going to get the, the six-man belts, you know, he, Heat them up, heat up Evil Neutral. Like you mentioned, show as he goes into Best of Super Juniors. I'm going to guess Evil and Neutral probably will be a team in the World Tag League, so you heat those guys up as well. Here's the upside. Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi, they've, you know, they've uh, fulfilled their, you know, portion of the bargain. They've gone out there and, like, really elevated these titles, made them something meaningful to the point where you've got two studs in, you know, for better or for worse, Evil, a guy who's upper mid-card, and then show a guy who's poised to do big things in the junior division. And now these titles can kind of befit their role. And at the same time, if you're, you know, not necessarily fans of those guys, it gives them something to kind of do on the side without needing Evil to occupy the IWGP heavyweight title scene or eat or um, show to kind of like be in play to be the winner of the super juniors or whatever, you know? Um, so I think there's a silver lining to all this. Plus, you know, Ishii, Goto and Yoshihashi are kind of like relieved of that duty. They've served their sentence and now they can kind of figure out what's next on the horizon for each and every single one of them collectively, you know? Right, you can throw those guys in a, a U.S. picture, and also Ishii's got a never title match coming up at Battle in the Valley. There's a lot of things you can do with those guys uh, with them dropping the six man titles. And you know, to me, the guy that comes out of it the strongest, in a certain sense, is Ishii. He's got that never title um, challenge coming up. We'll talk about that later. But Yoshihashi comes out of it very, very strong. Many of the stories and you know stories of the matches and title defenses that they had we're kind of you know censored around him and it just shows how highly regarded this title reign was held in the sense that like it's what fourth from the bottom and we're you know spending a lot of time discussing it so i mean yeah. this kind of was a really meaningful title reign yeah and so definitely gonna miss the reign but looking forward to see what those guys can do in a more single role and like you mentioned yeah, it kind of keeps House of Torture kind of in the little, like, never six-man division, their own little bubble, and kind of keeping them out of the, the more important main events. And, hey, if they beat Evil and Show, fuck them, you know? <laughs> we ball, you know? So it's, it's a win-win. <laughs> it's a win-win. Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, so next we have the provisional KO. I like to see House of Torture 
do the same shit that Chaos did for the last year. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, Following a, these footsteps, bitch. Yeah, some big boots to fill. Uh, so next up, the provisional KLPW 2021 matchup. The votes were in. The fans have voted for a shoot. They want to see some real ass wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> they want to see. You guys don't know. That was Jeremy's gimmick when he was part of uh, what was it? G G W Global G- Underground Wrestling. Global Underground Wrestling. If you guys want to go to fucking YouTube, uh, and trust me. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> Type in uh, John Juris, you'll you'll find. If, uh, if you look up John Juris on YouTube, you will find fucking gold. <laughs> John Juris equals Layla Hirsch. Yes, same gimmick, real ass shooter, real ass wrestling. Yes, and uh, so yeah, we're getting an amateur rules match between Yano and the Great Okan for the KLPW 2021 Provisional Trophy. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. I mean, you look at the uh, the backgrounds of both of these guys. I mean, both of them have an extensive history when it comes to, you know, the catch as catch can, the amateur folk style, you know. I mean, this man, Great Khan, you know, he uses a lot of gimmickry, but I mean, Sambo, Judo, amateur wrestling. I mean, I know a lot of people are kind of pulling for Toriano, but I think he might have bit off more than he could chew with Great Okan. I mean, we look back at his uh, young boy days, and this man can really fucking wrestle. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Yano was a, a former amateur wrestler, former heavyweight uh, back in the day. And so, I mean, both these guys have very good amateur grappling background. So if they make this a legit contest, like this could actually end up being decent. Here's the thing. What it's going to end up being, it's going to be... It's going to, based on the fact that both of them are so character-driven and gimmick-heavy, it's going to be some bullshit. Yeah. But if we got, like, amateur wrestling, like, fucking... (laughs) (laughs) Olympic. (laughs) Olympic. Both men come out in singlets and headgear. (laughs) If if these dudes came out with, like, singlets and headgear and, like, mouthpieces... And seconds, and they, like, had towels around their neck and fucking, like, water bottles, like, squirting over their heads and shit. Um, I would love for, like, someone to, like, circle off the yes. cerulean blue. Yeah. And, like, do the, like, minus check so they know, like, the, the absolute center of the ring is. <laughs> yeah, and they wrestle, like, in the points style matchup. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, too, like, what we're going to do with, like, the time limit because, like, in a high school amateur for us here in, in the states high school it's a six minutes time limit so i'm wondering if they're gonna do like a six minute match so worst worst case scenario it's gonna be short if it is if it ends up being more gimmicky well i mean you're referencing the states but do we know that those are the rules in japan i don't that's what i'm saying i don't know what they're what they're gonna do what the amateur rules are in japan i don't know either i know that they have like a East All City and West All City and like all national. Those are like, you know, some of the parameters that they have when it comes to amateur wrestling. But I, I don't really know the rules when it comes to that. I, I, you know, I don't know as much about like amateur wrestling as say you do, you know, uh, because being a, pr- a practitioner yourself, you know more about it than I do. But I've looked into the differences between like collegiate wrestling versus like, Greco-Roman and, and folk style and freestyle, and folk yeah. style, 
So, I mean, there's a lot of different rules. I mean, there's some, there's some styles that require like two count, like, uh, you know, shoulders down. Some require one, some, you know, an over the head spike throws illegal. Some are not. So it's really hard to tell like what rule parameters they're going to be using. Yeah. But I mean, like, part of me like would love to see just like a fucking like amateur style Greco Roman like <laughs> these guys go, go to for it war busting out yeah. sit outs or cross facing gator rolling like <laughs> basically I want to see them do what Oiwa and Fujita do <laughs> do every time they wrestle yes yeah that that'll be the best case scenario. But they're not going to. So right. <laughs> it's going to be some shit where, like, they start, like, amateur wrestling and then it's going to turn in. It's going to devolve into, like, Okan doing the claw. Right. Like, and the refs, somehow the ref's going to get bumped and Okan's going to put him on a claw or something. This man's going to get bumped and then, like, fucking Yano's going to, like, hit him with the fucking, you know, low blow and then roll him up. So I don't know what to expect there. You know, it's fifth from the top, so whatever. Yeah, I'm going to go with Yano just because Ocon will probably be in tag league and so you don't really need him with KOPW. Fuck it. I roll with Ocon, you know. My boy, <laughs> <Oka>. <laughs> well, Now let's look at the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship oh, match. I'm going to call the way he beats him, too. Midnight Ride. He's going to hit him with the banana split. <laughs> banana split. <laughs> <laughs> So the uh, up next the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match, Robbie Eagles will defend his championship against El Desperado. So we saw in the build of this match that Eagles and Tiger Mask beat Despy and Kamara to get the Junior Tag Title. So Robbie is Robbie two belts right now going into this match with Despy. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm trying to corral this dog. <laughs> sorry, like no, it's okay. I get left in the. Uh... I have an office, but it doubles as the dog's room as well. And so oftentimes when I'm working, which means podcasting, you know, I got to watch the dog because my girlfriend will go off and like, you know, like I said, she does hot works, you know. Uh. So anyways, he's kind of, you know, roaming around. I'm just trying to make sure little guy's okay. As far as this match goes, though, it's very interesting because we have a situation where like, Robbie Eagles, super deserving as junior champion. But at the same time, this is his first kind of like rodeo, even though he's a double champion, everything like that. Um, you know, we had a guy in Desperado earlier this year. People were calling him a breakout star, double champion. He had that giant, you know, Budokan. Was it Budokan Hall? Yeah. Or was it? Yeah. I think it was Budokan Hall. Maybe it was Sumo. I don't remember, but like, Earlier at the beginning of the year, him and Hiromu tore the house down G1 fi- or uh, Super Junior Finals. You know, he even challenged for the double gold titles when that was still a thing at the anniversary show against uh, fucking Ibushi. So the, t- the tables have kind of turned quite a bit where you kind of got Desperado on the outsides. People were kind of calling this year for being like the year Desperado him sort of being like an established guy and very quickly that kind of shifted and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the guy that beat him for the belt was Robbie Eagles, right? Yeah. So this is kind of a rematch that's been building for quite a while and it's happening right 
as we head into Super Juniors. And that's very telling because regardless of who wins, I can tell you one of two things. Whoever wins is not winning Super Juniors. And whoever loses is not winning Super Juniors. Regardless of the outcome of this match, neither participant is going to win the Super Juniors. But the difference is going to be whoever walks out of the match as the champion, that will be the person that wins the tournament gets to challenge against. The other guy will be the guy that's just kind of SOL at that point, basically. Right, and you also got to think whoever is going to be the champion going into that tour is probably going to be in a lot of main events on that tour. And you got to look at these guys. Who is the guy that's probably going to draw more in the main events? And for me, I think it'll probably be El Desperado. And no offense to Robbie Eagles. He's a great worker. He's done great work. Um, but, you know, obviously still he's a gaijin. Uh, you know, he hasn't had that main event experience and that, that star power. I feel like Desperado... Has gotten that push. He was in that main event, like you mentioned, with Ibushi. Um, he had that awesome match with Hiromu. Like they've, it's kind of been a slow, you know, ascent for Desperado. And I think putting him on top in the main events in this tour would probably be more something they would do than putting Eagles in a lot of main events. So you think that they're going to go with Desperado heading into the Super Juniors over Robbie Eagles? Yeah, I could see it, uh, you know, Hiromu potentially winning Super Juniors again, and then you do Hiromu challenging Despi for a title at Wrestle Kingdom. Well, I agree with what you're putting out there, but let's keep in mind, again, three days of Wrestle Kingdom. We don't know how that's going to affect the junior title scene much in the same way as we didn't know how two days was going to affect last year. You know, we ultimately we ended up with, uh, you know, Phantasmo and Ishimori kind of doing a dual challenge against Hiromu, you know? Yeah. But I don't know what to expect going into dome season this year. And, um, I do think that there is a chance, obviously that we end up with some sort of, well, it's a single block tournament anyways, right? Right. So regardless, we're still going to end up with a rematch between Hiromu and Desperado either way. But on the big stage, that kind of remains to be determined. Um, my question to you is, okay, Robbie Loot drops the belt here to Desperado. What was the point of the stopgap between him winning the belt and then dropping it here just before going into the Super Juniors? And sort of what's the benefit? You know, uh, what was the reason for it? And what do you see being his trajectory going out of that? I think the reason that I think that they do see him as a future junior star and, you know, somebody to kind of fill in that Will Ospreay kind of guys in role and kind of giving him his first Reign and first uh, run on the title. I think it's kind of get that accolade under his belt. And then, you know, normally sometimes first title offenses, first title reigns aren't always that long or that successful. And so I think they're going to, you know, use this kind of this kind of experience and then later down the road have a another title reign that's probably longer and better. So this was sort of his establishing title reign to kind of heat him up. And then you think he's going to be a long-term stalwart of the uh, division afterwards? 
Right. I think it's it gave him some credibility. So when he's in the best of super juniors, people can be like, oh, well, he was just a champion. So yeah, he could, it makes sense for him to score very high. I could see him beating, uh, you know, being Desperado again. He, I could see him beating Hiromu again. I can see him beating some more of these guys. Remember last year, Super Juniors, he was like a very kind of 50 50, kind of lower end of the the block. And so this year, I think he didn't even have very many main events or anything like that. He was right. sort of in that Jonathan Gresham middle of the card, 16 minute stretch sort of. You know, role right, and so now I think, even though he won't be the champion, he'll probably be in more like semi-main, maybe some main events. But he's more credible to beat people after just being a champion. That's true. I mean, do you think that um, them switching the junior tag team titles to him recently was a way to sort of transition the uh, the main belt off of him, or do you think that that bolsters him and means that? You know, maybe you should reconsider the fact that he might not be dropping this belt because they've got the double titles on him. Right. I mean, honestly, yeah, this match could go either way, but I think with him getting the junior tag titles, then you can kind of get him in Tiger Mask once this tournament's over as junior tag champs. Or what you could do is um, if Despy wins, now Despy's obviously, he beat <coughs> Robbie, he's probably going to be in line now for a junior tag title match. So that sets up a rematch for Despy and Kanemaru. Yeah, I see what you're saying when it comes to – I think a lot of people are favoring Hiromu to win the whole thing. And if they do, having that dance partner partner in uh, Desperado makes a lot of sense, given their history, given their history in this tournament just last year. But at the same time, um, the one thing that gives me pause is how New Japan has leveraged the junior tag team titles – as a, a way to sort of book the actual IWGP junior title all year long. Right. And it makes me kind of wonder if they're willing to depart from that sort of booking method, because if they're not, that would tell me off the bat that Robbie is probably going to retain and go into the uh, tournament as the champion. And there's a part of me that thinks that that wouldn't be the worst idea because even if Desperado didn't win the tournament, there's a way to book him in the tournament in a way, given the fact that Wrestle Kingdom again is three days, you could still wind up with him and Hiromu facing off in some meaningful way, given the fact that they gotta feed they've gotta fill those three days, you know, right. with something. So I just don't know what to expect, and that makes me feel a lot less confident about uh the booking decision going forward. Um, the other thing too if Robbie Eagles beats him again that's two in a row where it sort of feels like he sort of has Desperado's number mm. I think against my better judgment I'm going to roll with you I yeah. think I am going to go with Desperado no, I mean, let's, let's make it interesting you, you, go, you go with Robbie I'll go with Despy. No, because that's not how my heart feels. Right <laughs> I, I I do think it makes a lot more logical sense. It's just the one thing that really throws off all my predictions, and I've said it again and again, three days of Wrestle Kingdom, I don't know what the fuck that means. Right, yeah. And we have no signs of a Super J Cup in the U.S. right now either. 
So, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what to expect. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I'll go with Desperado. <laughs> all righty. But I want to throw out all the, you know, that's what we do. We analyze. Right. We give everybody all the, you know, p- potential outcomes. So, yeah, this is a tough one. This is a 50-50 in my opinion. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going Despy, but I wouldn't be surprised if Eagles won. I was surprised when Eagle beat him for the title initially. Yeah. But but at this point, I wouldn't be surprised either way. It really is a toss-up. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking we could end up probably with a – you could end up with like a Robbie-Hiromu final since Robbie beat Hiromu for the belt and Hiromu would, can, can get his, like, win back on Robbie in the finals and then face Despy at Wrestle Kingdom. I know that we hold Super Juniors in really high regard just given the history of it. But, bro, with how casually they've handled that tournament, especially – making it a single block and kind of just dude anytime they do single block it makes me feel like the chances of a triple threat are on the oh, table oh yeah 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 so i wouldn't be surprised at all if we wind up with a robbie hiromu desperado triple way. threat yeah and then somehow that ends up playing into wrestle kingdom i hope whoever runs the social suplex you know um social media like stuff is kind of cataloging this now and can play it two months from now when January 4th, 5th and whatever 7th pops up so they can hear that I called this shit (laughs) (laughs) way ahead of time (laughs) because that's probably what's going to happen yeah or and that that could be like a round robin of matches for each night or something like that. I don't know. And who knows how the fuck this all affects, you know, Phantasmo, Ishimori, that sort of shit. Right. Well, following that championship match, we'll have another title match with the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship as the champion, Hiroshi Tanahashi, will defend against Kenta. That's a tough one. Um, the last time they faced off Tanahashi... For the title, Tanahashi beat Kenta, but um, did Kenta beat him in the G1, right? Uh, I think they were in separate blocks. Separate blocks, okay. I just wasn't sure how Kenta even came upon getting the style shot. That's well, usually that's the usual way. It happened in the, the multi-man tag on the final day. Like Kenta pretty much jumped Chase in line and challenged Tanahashi. I saw that, but I didn't think that that alone was enough. <laughs> I didn't think that alone was enough to warrant a title. Yeah, because yeah, Kenta was an A block and Tanahashi was in B block. <laughs> so you tell me that this man Chase pinned Tanahashi clean, <laughs> but Kenta said, "Move over, bitch, get out of the way." Yes, they they used Chase to set up a Kenta title match. <laughs> Oh man! Oh. Um, I'm gonna ride with the ace because I ride with the ace, and that's what I do. And yeah, I don't know, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Kenta won. But fuck it, you know, Kenta or Tanahashi, we ball. Yeah, I- I'm gonna ride with the ace too. But like you said earlier, we we gotta throw out all the scenarios and why people could win. And I do think there's a very good chance of Kenta winning. Just because he's been chasing this belt for so long now. You know, he won that initial New Japan Cup USA. 
had the red briefcase, defended that briefcase several times, and finally got that match with Moxley um, and, and came up short. So, you know, the U.S. title has been in his sights for quite some time now and hasn't got shot at it. And Kenta is a guy that could easily, he lives in Florida, could come in, be on strong, show up on these Battle in the Valley type shows and, you know, be the, the U.S. champ and have defenses there. Um, but you know what would be some funny shit? You know how, like, some people are just perennial chasers? Yeah. What if, like, the story of, like, Kenta's New Japan career, it's not that he's chasing the IWGP title, although he's had a shot at it. It's the fact that this man can't win that fucking red belt, no matter <laughs> what the fuck he does. <laughs> I think that would be hilarious. Yeah, that that would be pretty funny. But yeah, I, I think Tanahashi is going to win just because there is you no know, hopes of getting guys into the country, and there is the Moxley Tanahashi match that's on the table. Um, so if if the stars align and things work out, maybe we see Moxley oh versus Tanahashi God. at Wrestle Kingdom for the belt. So you're telling me Moxley's going to win this fucking red belt back and start defending it on Dynamites again? <laughs> Never said he would beat Tanahashi, but the match would happen. Moxley defending the red belt on Defy. Yeah, I mean, Moxley, he's all over the place. Defy, GCW. Um, We're going to get some sort of Moxley red belt defense in fucking, like, Dublin for <laughs> for, like... Triple Mania or some shit, or yeah. not Triple Mania? What are they called? Yeah, the, uh, uh, OTT Mania thing. Uh, yeah, OTT Mania and shit. But yeah, and I mean, also Moxley's been on strong. He's been on these New Japan US pay per views. He, he could, if he wants belt back, yeah. If the dates work out, he could be featured on strong and on those, uh, you know, Battle and Valley Resurgence type shows. Hey, not for nothing, I've really enjoyed every Kenta versus Tanahashi match that has happened. In New Japan, uh, contemporaries from the same generation, basically at one point considered essentially a dream match, you know, and I don't think that they've ever really failed to deliver. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed all the matches. I've always thought they're ma- probably the lowest match is probably four stars, maybe 3.75, depending how, how hard you're or greater you are. But right. The, the one thing that worries me is just Kenta's performance in the G1. He did have some great matches. You know, the Zack match was great, but a lot of his matches were filled with shenanigans, and he didn't wrestle that hard. And maybe that's just him saving his body, but hopefully this being a title match and it, Tanahashi and Kenta, that this they will continue to deliver like they always do. Well, if history tells us anything different... Um... That's how it will turn out, so we'll have to wait and see. But I'm looking forward to it regardless, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But um, the next match, you know, big stakes as the IWGP heavyweight title is on the line. (laughs) (laughs) The right to challenge for the IWGP title at Wrestle Kingdom. The Rainmaker, Kazushiko Okada versus uh, Tamatonga. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty cut and dry. Uh, Okada is winning this. They, they did a, a pretty bad job on the follow-up of Tamatanga getting the upset win. They didn't do it. You know, they had these three road two shows last week that they really didn't heat him up or even on the final show. And even his final match, he lost to Goto on the final block night. So they didn't do a great job. Bro, of it makes no sense. <laughs> 
did not do a good job of heating this man up for this matchup. So, you know, the G1 matchup they had was very good, uh, near four stars, and they'll probably have another very good match here. But, I mean, yeah, Rainmaker all day. I agree with you. I would like to do the funny bit where I disagree, tell you all the reasons Sam Matonga is going to win, but, like, fuck all that. You know, it's a three-hour show. We got to move <laughs> on. Rainmaker's going to roll. And, uh, you know, quote, unquote, heat things up, as he mentioned. Right. Establish that he is better than the world champion. Yeah, I can't wait till he upstages Shingo Takagi and Zack Sabre Jr. with Tamatonga <laughs> on the six. It's going to be so cool when the Rainmaker just fucking upstages Shingo Takagi. Yeah. <laughs> also, you know, if you told me in 2015 that there'd be a day where Shingo Takagi was the world champion of New Japan and he was headlining above Okada in the semi-main event, I would have told you you were fucking lying. <laughs> or if you told me that he'd beat Okada twice in the same calendar year, like, there's no way that could possibly happen. Oh, man. But, yeah. It's it, one of the most bizarre things. It's it's such a bizarre thing to, to like, hear. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, dude, even think about just, like, 2019 when Chingo first came in and after, even after, like, his first G1, we were kind of like, yeah, Chingo's probably just going to be a never guy. For the rest of his New Japan run, and like yeah, now, I mean, we were talking about like he should be a world champion, but it will never happen. Yeah, we're like he's a new Goto, like he'll he'll challenge, he'll be the never champ, you know, but he he'll never be the world champion. God, were we wrong? <laughs> uh, well, that's gonna bring us into the main event. Yeah, Shingo defending that IWGP World Heavyweight Championship against Zack Sabre Jr. Sabre tapped out Shingo in the G1 with that arm bar. And this is going to be a great main event. I just don't see how or why Shingo would have been able to adjust to the onslaught of Zack Sabre Jr.'s submission game. ZSJ, the first ever. No. Second ever British <laughs> world title holder. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think they're flipping the belt here to uh, Mr. ZSJ. Uh, I think obviously with the whole you know triple crown, triple gold dash storyline, I'll see Shingo. I think it's going to be a very big part of that, and Shingo's going to get revenge here, upset, get the uh, win back over Zack Saber Jr. No, it's going to be important for Zack to carry in the uh, IWGP world title when he goes and defends that title in a unification bout against uh, Will Ospreay in your call for Red Pro. <laughs> so that's what's really happening. People, you know, I'm ahead right now. What's going to happen is they're going to announce a fourth night of Wrestle Kingdom, <laughs> but it, it'll, be, it'll be in the UK. And so it'll all culminate in Sabre versus Ospreay. I can't wait for them to start doing the Wrestle Kingdom tour, which extends from January 4th all the way to right up before New Beginning. Yeah. <laughs> we have 15 nights of World of Wrestle Kingdom tour. Right. You have a bunch of Road to Wrestle Kingdoms and then five Wrestle Kingdom shows. <laughs> yeah. Wrestle Kingdom in Yokohama, Wrestle Kingdom in... Right. Oh. Then they're gonna do the WWE thing where they just add it on to stuff. It'll be like Power Struggle Wrestle Kingdom or <laughs> the new what beginning if, of Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> we're going into their fiftieth anniversary, right? Yeah. 
the whole year's wrestling. Destruction Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> G1 Night 15 Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom in USA. <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom in USA, Sacramento, specifically. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Anyway, so, you know, Shingo, he's going to retain his belt against CSJ. ZSJ is going to go back to the tag division. And then, you know, we're going to start talking about Okada, Shingo, and uh, Will Ospreay. And uh, I, I, I do assume, though, given the history between these two guys and how great their previous match was and everything they left on the table, Shingo versus ZSJ is probably going to match of the night. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a late year-end match of the year contender. Yeah, slide in right there at the cutoff. Definitely could happen. We had a question here from uh, Rambo and Slam Pig. It says, historic run of the Chaos Unit with the Never Six Man titles could soon end. So I'm wondering, what are the greatest title reigns in NJPW history? Are they mostly centered on the world title, or does each title have a significant reign associated with it? Man, what a great question. Um, I'll go into the historic stuff, but I know you probably have a couple... uh, historic title reigns you know that come to mind just in the more recent you know history of new japan well i'll say the one that comes to mind is uh kazushika okada's uh last reign with the IWGB title where he had that super long reign before he lost he dropped the belt to uh kenny that comes to mind um you know when it comes to the ic title there's one in particular, I don't remember how many because I think he held it four times. But there's a super significant Shinsuke Nakamura title right. reign. Same thing with Naito. He's got one as well, maybe one or two. Um, with the junior title, I mean Liger has several very legendary title reigns. So does Prince Devitt. So does uh, what's your boy's name? Uh, Koji Kanemoto. Yeah, Kanemoto's got one or two that are very historic as well. Um, for the tag titles, I mean, uh, Cho Ten, you know, Chono and Tenzon, they've got one. Um, so does Bad Intentions with Carl Anderson and uh, Giant Bernard. I think they've got the longest title reign in history. I could be incorrect on that it's hard to remember but i mean even some of the like for the world title i mean you've got nagata's famous reign you've got two really famous reigns from um oh man when hashimoto um obviously the one the one or two with okada tanahashi as well you know, some of these reigns are the ones that like you epitomize what that title means and they become synonymous with that individual, you know? Right. Um, even with the WWF junior heavyweight title, which was the the precursor, I mean, Fujinami had like I don't know, close to like four year reign with that belt. Um this the the title reigns of Tiger Mask stand out between his WWF as well as NWA junior heavyweight title reigns. Um, fuck, I'm trying to 
I think Kengo Kimura and um, Fujinami have a very famous title reign as well that kind of predates the IWGP tag team titles. Gato and Jado, they're sort of like this, their title reign kind of like epitomized the junior title for a long time. So, I mean, yeah, even with the never belts, you know, Shibata, mm-hmm. uh, Chono, Goto, or not Chono, I'm sorry, Ishii, like, yeah, you can pretty much like. I think the one belt that never had a truly definitive reign was this never open weight six man tag team titles. You know, right now we have that with uh, Goto Ishii Yoshihashi. Even the U thirty title had Tanahashi's very famous reign. Uh, U.S. title has uh, John Moxley. <laughs> Would you say that that's like the epitome of that title reign? I don't know. Well, I think um, Kenny Omega's initial reign too. Right. Yeah. I mean, he had a lot of a lot of really great defenses during that initial period. He did. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, New Japan is full of fantastic title reigns, top to bottom across the board, and now this belt has one as well. Yeah. So. Next thing we look at, Battle in the Valley is coming up on Saturday, November 13th. We'll do the full predictions for next week, but we had some new new matches announced to the card. So we already knew that the main event is the Never Openweight Championship match with Jay White defending against Ishii. If Ishii loses, he can never challenge for the Never title again. Uh, newly added, we got Juice Robinson taking on the new Impact World Champion, Moose. I wonder who's going to win that. <laughs> uh, we have the former Impact World Champion, Josh Alexander, taking on Yu Uomura. Any chance we get interactions between Moose and Alexander to kind of further the Impact shit? We probably can. We've, we've seen Impact and New Japan working together more. Uh, Rocky just had an exhibition title match last week. Suzuki is doing his run there right now. Um, so they, they, we can definitely get some Impact storylines here. Kind of interesting how that sort of Continuing on as the AW Impact relationship has kind of been put, you know, it's done. It's done, yeah. So also in this car, we already knew that Will Ospreay would be taking on Ren Narita, and then added Jeff Cobb and TJP of the United Empire. They will take on Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors, so that United Empire LA Dojo feud will continue with those two matches. Then we also have a multi-man, Fred Rosser, Dave Finley, Rocky Romero, Alex Coughlin, Alex Zane versus all of Team Filthy. And then also added last week, Brody King and Chris Dickinson, Violence Unlimited. They will take on two-thirds of the Stray Dog Army, Bateman and Mysterioso. Yeah, that's a, that's a strong lineup. Um, some really good additions there to kind of round out that card. That's taking place the same night as the AEW pay-per-view, correct? Yeah. And there actually, there are three New Japan shows that day. So World Tag League Super Juniors will be in the morning. And then an episode of Strong will happen at 8. And then Battle in the Valley will air. So how's that going to work with us and covering it? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm probably gonna. Uh, well, I'm gonna watch Full Gear live, so I'll I'll probably I'll watch World Tag League in the morning, and then on Sunday I'll I'll watch Strong and Battle in the Valley. Well, the the main reason I'm asking is because, you know, at this point I'm pretty much going to be, to the best of my knowledge, hosting, 
the pay-per-view and I'm just wondering when is this act when is Battle of the Valley actually airing? So it's starting like either seven or eight Pacific time. So okay, so that's like if it's seven, that's like ten our time. Yeah. So it might be going on. Is it going on at the same time as the AW pay per view or after? So Full Gear will probably start. I think their pay per view start at what like eight Eastern. I think pre show will probably start at seven Eastern. Something like that. Yeah. So there there will be probably some overlap toward when Battle of Valley is starting and Full Gear will probably be in its last hour probably. Okay. So when you guys come over, I'm just I don't know if I'm expecting people to stay over like another two or three hours to watch. <laughs> I will not Battle of Valley. <laughs> I will watch that then the next day. <laughs> See, I'm a little disappointed because I remember when um the the show they had in London or was yeah, it? Yeah, Royal London? Quest. Yeah. Yeah, Royal Quest was before the AW pay per view, so we were able to kind of like make a whole get day those of in it, back yeah. to back. Yeah. Plus, I think we watched that NXT UK show with uh We did, yes. With Walter and Tyler Bates. Tyler Bates. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so some of this stuff might get I don't know, pushed to Sunday. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we had a question here from Reddit user the underscore dark underscore soldier. He says, with Okada showing up for Battle in the Valley, could you see Okada showing up at AEW Dynamite as a surprise, saving Hangman from a beatdown from the Elite, perhaps even having a one-off match like Kenta did? No. Um, I mean, maybe, but my main thing is, like, what relation did he ever have to Hangman and Adam Page? Right. Like, there was none. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, could I see him showing up in Trent and like Trent's mom's van with uh, <laughs> best friends? Yes, I could. That would make sense to me. He would probably really want to do that. <laughs> oh, if you pitch it to him, he'd be all fucking about it like all day. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not expecting him to show up on any sort of Tony Khan, you know, television, but. I mean, is it impossible? No. I mean, we've seen precedent, so. Right. I I just feel like Okada's a, a bigger star than Kenta, and that if you're bringing Okada in, like, it needs to be a built. If you want to do it on TV, fine, but it has to be built, or you need to do it on pay-per-view. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense to me. Yeah. So then we're going to talk about uh, Autumn Attack, night four this past Saturday on NJPW Strong. So the show opened up. Fred Rosser and our good friend Rocky Romero. They defeated the Team Filthy team of Danny Limelight and J.R. Kratos. Uh, 14 minutes, 40 seconds. Good opening match here. They are building Fred Rosser for a, another match with Filthy Tom Lawler. So, got a win here over some of uh, Filthy's boys here. And they're continuing the build of Fred Rosser. Yep. After that, we had Leo Rush defeating Taiji Ishimori. 15 minutes, 13 seconds. What do you think of this match? Yeah, this was a really, really good matchup here. I'll say I wish it would have been, you know, a bigger building, bigger crowd, but I thought the crowd that night was good. Great action here. You know, it's a junior dream match here. Two of the, like, fastest guys in wrestling facing off. Uh, I went about uh, 3.75 on this matchup. Um, just tons of just great spots, and, like, these guys just mirroring each other and trying to, to outmaneuver each other. Uh, but it all came down to uh, Leo Rush picking up the win over Taiji, which I was very surprised about. 
Um, you know, Taiji is you know a main New Japan roster guy. And I think when this was taped, he was still no. He they dropped the belt before they left, so I mean, he just lost the junior tag title. So I was thinking, you know, maybe he would get the win over Rush, but yeah, Rush got the win here. So very good matchup. Nice. And then the main event, we had the tag team of Suzuki Goon, Thessalon Sarcher, and Minoru Suzuki. They defeated the team filthy team of. Royce, Isaacs, and Tom Lawler. 11 minutes, 7 seconds. Yeah, it was great seeing Archer in a New Japan ring and on strong. Um, you know, him and Suzuki are very good together. And, you know, this was a uh, brawling matchup. These guys were, were brawled over the arena before the, the bell rang, and then they got in. It was a very hard-hitting match. Suzuki was slapping the crap out of Royce Isaacs. Uh, very hard-hitting match. Very intense matchup here. Zuki ends up getting the win. He hits the the gotch pile driver on Royce Isaacs, and then a uh, big angle post match. Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson comes out and challenges Suzuki for Philadelphia, and Suzuki just had one response: "Fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> so Saturday's fall lineup: we have uh, another episode of New Japan Strong. The team of Will Osprey, oh, actually two. Is that the opener or is that's, that? That's the main. Okay, so the opener, we got Dave Finley, Alex Coughlin, and Yuya Yamura taking on the team of J.R. Kratos, Royce Isaacs, and Jarrell Nelson. Uh, second match of the night, Juice Robinson will uh, take on El Fantasmo in singles action. And then the main event, the United Empire, Will Ospreay and TJP, they take on the L.A. Dojo team of Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors. So yeah, it should be a fun episode. This will be the first episode from the Philadelphia tapings, a showdown tour that they did in Philadelphia. And from what I saw on YouTube, it looked like it was better lit, uh, better sound for the crowd, and just looked more a little bit more professional than the the Dallas show. So looking forward to checking that out. Nice. Then we had uh, New Japan revealing the lineup for the November fifteenth Strong Nation tapings that will be happening in Riverside, California. So we're gonna, we'll have Kevin Knight in the DKC taking on Brogan Finley and Jordan Clearwater, Leo Rush and Adrian Quest against Bateman and Mysterioso, United Empire, Osprey, Cobb, TJP against the LA Dojo, Fredericks, Connors, and Ren Narita. The Bullet Club team of Jay White and Hikaleo will take on Alex Zane and Chris Dickinson. Then we'll have Josh Barnett making his NJPW return, first time in over 17 years facing Alex Coughlin in the Coughlin Challenge Series. Then we'll have Jonathan Gresham against Gabriel Kidd, Tomohiro Ishii versus Brody King, and then the strong Openweight Championship match with a filthy Tom Lawler defending against Mr. No Days Off, Fred Rosser. 11 years ago, a group of misfits and outsiders from the world of wrestling decided that they're going to flip the script and band together, and they formed the group known as the Nexus. That group's history and story has led us to 2021, where Fred Rosser challenges <laughs> the NJPW Strong title against former UFC alumnus Tom Lawler. Oh, man. This is like some fire pro stuff. What kind of fire pro shit is this? <laughs> Um, we did have Rosser from the WWE is going to <laughs> wrestle Tom Lawler from well, the UFC. One half of the prime time players. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to make the Fed great again. 
taking on Tom Lawler, the man that was banned by USADA from fighting in MMA ever again. This is crazy, bro. <laughs> what kind uh, of timeline are we living in? We had a question that just came in from Reddit user Hawaiian Punch V BV. Says, oh, that was too late. He can't. <laughs> he said, uh, thoughts on Josh Barnett making an appearance on NJPW Strong challenging Alex Coughlin, and who else would like to see him wrestle on the roster? Um, I'm excited. I do want to point out that I think I made a joke about him competing again. You did, yeah. And you kind of made a joke about, you know, the company not being happy with him. And I think, uh, you know, like I mentioned, the interactions between their talent and his branded show with GCW probably did wonders for opening doors for his continued involvement in uh, NJPW. Yeah, and so I'll see for, you know, future matchups, I think, if they can work it out. I mean, him and Jay White, you, you pay off that angle from uh, that uh, show for where he faced Juice, do Jay White versus Barnett. Yeah, but you do it in AEW on Dynamite, and you have, uh, you know, Jim Ross stand ringside as he supports <laughs> Barnett. Barnett. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, long-term storytelling. <laughs> Is there any like I'm just trying to think of now? Keep in mind, I know that you are probably not as familiar with Josh Barnett's work as I am. Just think, he's a shoot style guy. There's no, that's it. That's all he does. Uh, is there anyone in New Japan that you, or even just M- NJPW Strong that you'd want to see him wrestle? Uh, I think Filthy Tom, uh, Zack Sabre Jr., Jonathan Gresham, uh, put him in there with Ishii, um, Brody King, uh, Chris Dickinson. Yeah, yeah, Those are some good good answers. I I would add to it, but I think you took most of them away. <laughs> well, and that's the lineup for detonation. Now we have a ton of items here um in the news and oh, we got a lot of questions about this one yeah and this one it's new japan adjacent but it's pretty big news so ring of honor is going on hiatus uh the future of the company and you know is in jeopardy the company as we know it will basically be gone um and you know they this past week they made a decision that they will not be promoting any shows and after final battle which will be happening on December 11th, they won't be back until April of 2022. They have released all uh, wrestlers from their contract. Uh, Joe Coff informed talent on 1027 that everyone is being released from their contract at the end of the year, but effective immediately, all talent can start working for other promotions, even if they are under contract. Um, so we had a question here from Sumo underscore Cerebro. What are your thoughts on ROH releasing their entire roster and which guys would you like to see appear in New Japan? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily like a business expert who could break down all the ongoings between, you know, Ring of Honor and the their company throughout this COVID era and then how that relates to the ongoings of Sinclair Media Group and some of the business decisions they've made with different media conglomerates, things like that. But, you know, it suffices to say we're at the point where they were able to pay everybody that was on the roster all throughout the pandemic and keep the company continuing. But 
they've now come at a point where like they have to restructure because it's it's literally a money hole and Sinclair, their parent company is at kind of a standstill, sort of at a crossroads when it comes to making decisions for what's going to be best for the company. And, you know, probably paying Bandito a six-figure contract is not amongst those, uh, you know, (laughs) high priorities for Sinclair Media. So I don't know what to expect going forward. But, uh, you know, effectively, as of now, they pretty much won't have a roster going into the next year. Um, And even when they do start bringing – doing shows again – you know, the understanding is that they're going to kind of try to run like an independent with, uh, you know, guys that are unsigned, kind of similar to how they did prior to Sinclair purchasing them. Right. And they're kind of going back to their roots where, you know, you had a lot of the top independent guys, your Brian Danielson, your Chris Heroes, your Nigel McGinnis's, uh, your Samoa Joe's, AJ Styles, all these top indie guys, uh, you know, just working a date by date basis, kind of having these more kind of bigger shows, not really TV taping. So that's kind of the structure that they're probably um, going to go back to. And um, it's going to be interesting to see what does happen with the talent. We've seen a lot of talent already working uh, GCW. Bandito has three dates. The Briscoes are the GCW tag team champions already. Um, as far as who I can see a pair in New Japan, some of the guys, I mean, Bandito, uh, we saw him in Best of Super Juniors 2019. It'd be great to see him. Uh, Dragon slash Ryu Lee. It would be great to uh, also get back into New Japan. Uh, Jonathan Gresham, who we already are are seeing on NJPW Strong. Yeah, and it's hard to know what's going to happen because some of the guys that are tied to the company, they're superstars that are going to, you know, command a big figure. You know, I'm thinking of someone like Roosh or Dragon Lee. They're going to show up in your major companies. But then you've got other guys that, you know, aren't necessarily going to get signed up right away and maybe will be float. Or if they do, it might be to like a smaller minor company like NWA or impact, something like that. MLW. um, MLW. But it's hard to know what the trajectory of these guys are following um, ROH. Now I was talking to rich earlier this week and we kind of discussed, and I determined there's like maybe five, six guys at the most that I actually am concerned with where they end up. And that's not to say that they don't have talent or guys that can offer things. But, you know, when we're talking about new Japan or, you know, one of the other major companies, there's only a few. And I think it's like, you mentioned a few of them, Dragon Lee, Bandito, um, Jonathan Gresham. Uh, They already, I mean, they have Chris Dickinson. He's sort of a freelancer anyways. Brody King, he's kind of already in New Japan. Uh, I think there might be one other guy, but that's about it, right? Yeah, I mean, those are pretty much the big hitters, yeah. You know, so um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but there's there's almost nobody in that company that I'm just like, oh, man, if New Japan had them, they'd make a huge difference. Like, Bandito and Dragon Lee are some of the best wrestlers in the world by anyone's measure but in japan they're still juniors and i don't see them like headline you know doing g1s i think they could make a big difference maybe in say new njp w of america possibly with strong and things like that and i think they'd be welcome additions to the junior 
division, but unless they go on like a full on like Buddy Matthews, you know, you know, like putting on all that extra weight and bulking up, I, I can't imagine them like facing off with guys like Okada, things like that, you know? Right. Uh, we had a question here from Oscar Rooney. How can New Japan of America capitalize in the downside of ROH other than getting new wrestlers? Um, I don't think they do because the one thing that uh, Ring of Honor hasn't disavowed is they're still going to op- – the plan right now is to continue on and operate just under different methods because the one profitable thing about their business model is – is the local TV affiliate syndicated television that they have um, in you know local markets across the U.S. with Sinclair on Fox? So I'm assuming that the TV is going to continue. Other, you know, if they wouldn't be making the types of um, announcements that they've made if they didn't intend on some level to continue doing the television because producing wrestling is so low cost versus the actual benefit and drawings, you know, the ratings that gets. And I, I assume it does well in the markets that's in. So, you know, and new Japan's television deal, they don't have one obviously, but like their strategy in the States is so different with the streaming versus, you know, being tied to a big company, the way that ROH is to Sinclair and like, on local television with cable. They're just not the same thing at all. Right. So I don't really know how it actually benefits them other than the only thing I could see is there was that cloudiness about, are they tied to ROH or are they, or are new Japan free to work with other outside companies like GCW, MLW, AEW impact. And I think some of that kind of gets cleared up when this company sort of changes their entire business model and method. Right, I do one. I do one thing. I think they can take advantage of. I mean, from now until uh, April, I mean, that, those are you know several months where Ring of Honor is not going to be running any shows in some of their key markets. I think, obviously, after detonation, there's nothing planned. If I was in Japan strong, I would try and hit up some of those hot ROH markets in the first quarter of the year and take advantage of like no. Of ROH not running in those territories because they're not touring. Maybe that would open up. Uh opportunity to sort of fill that gap right exactly that is possible the only thing is like roh hadn't really been doing so great in a lot of those markets in recent years anyways so right i don't know how much of a demand there is for you know that's the hard part is when you think of an outside alternative that role that roh filled or like brit res or njpw sort of being filled now by a more accessible product in AEW, right? And I think that that's kind of that's why I didn't bring up the touring stuff because I don't know how how those are gonna like play against one another. But there might be a possible. I I mean, like yes, ROH came to Lakeland here in in Florida, you know, sometimes multiple times a year, but definitely once a year, and that was usually a big deal. And. I would like to go see a show in Lakeland the way we did before. We can't right now. So maybe it would, you know, help new Japan to be able to run in some of those other markets and territories. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, next question from Rambo and slam pigs of the ROH news coming out. Who do you think would be the best fit for the NJPW roster in Japan? Is there anyone you could see making an impact as an upper mid Carter or main adventure almost immediately, or would they all be projects? So we kind of touched on this a little bit. 
Yeah, I just I think most of the top stars that they have are guys that would come in as juniors. They could bring in Roosh. He's got a history at the company, but I don't know. <laughs> I would. I yeah. I would. <laughs> I, I I you know respectfully pass. <laughs> um. Question from Muzza. Is this with the ROH news coming out? Which five members of their roster would you have New Japan go out of their way to sign full time? The guys I named. Yeah, it, Bandito, Dragon Lee, Gresham. Um, would you go? Would you go, Brody King? Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, like Bandito, Dragon Lee, mm-hmm. Gresham. Chris Dickinson and Brody King. Brody King. Yeah. Uh, next question from EMJ does PR. Chris Charlton was hinting the Rush might be debuting sometime soon in New Japan. Where does he bring to the table? And then Dragon Lee. Because now that I think about it, it might be Leo Rush. Please speculate. So uh, Charlton tweeted out something about hopefully there would be a Rush on uh, visas. So. Is it Roosh or is it Leo Rush that he could be speculating? Roosh <laughs> and his whole family. <laughs> We're going to get Roosh, Bestial Del Ring, uh, Dragon Lee, Drillistico. Uh, yup. I mean, if that's the price we have to pay to get Dragon Lee and Drillistico. Then... Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I already got too many years of Dragon Lee for free with no Roosh or Bestia tied to it. So fuck that. You know, you come alone or you don't come at all. Yeah, I mean, it could, there's a chance it could be Leo and there's like a new, another new mandate that uh, people could come in for business and only have to do a three day quarantine now in Japan. So if there's a way to get the Rush and on those passports to get Leo Rush there for Super Juniors, that would be pretty cool. Or maybe for like Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. You know, have a video message throughout the tour and challenge somebody. I mean, I don't know. Like I've been saying, they got three days. So yeah. Who knows how they set it up? But like, right. he could be involved with that show. If I was him, I'd want to be. That's probably one of the bigger payoffs of the year. Yeah. Then last question here on this topic from Dom Homie 101. With it looking like Ring of Honor is dead, what are your, some of your guys' favorite ROH moments, ROH matches, or an ROH shows? Who are your all-time ROH Mount Rushmore? What what would be the lasting legacy of Ring of Honor? Man, you know, a week ago, I think I was ready to talk about ROH like it was dead. But at this point, I don't necessarily feel that way. You know, um, there's a part of me that feels like they might try to persist as a hybrid of like what NWA is today versus you know, or kind of combined with PWG. Yeah. You know, BPWG East. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I look at all the issues and everything like that that they face, and I kind of think about how Gabe. Sapolsky hated all those years where he had to rebuild year after year after year. And I feel like whoever's the booker or, you know, whoever's in charge with this new ROH, that's kind of what they're going to be faced with is guys just getting sucked up by bigger companies forever at this point. Right. And trying to turn that into a, a national television product that's digestible. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't think Delirious is the man for that job. I know I'm not. I don't know who could fucking do all that. <laughs> I wouldn't want that job, yeah. 
<laughs> but, um, you know, at the same time, I do think that they're going to try to persist. And I also think, you know, the ROH of my youth has been dead for a long time. It doesn't, it hasn't felt like that same company since like 2010 anyways. Right. So I don't know. Um, I mean, what are some of your favorite ROH stuff here? I'll just say, first of all, I mean, ROH um, was a very big part in my wrestling fandom in the, the mid-2000s. And when I started discovering wrestling outside of WWE, that was one of the companies that I, I stumbled upon and saw stuff. And, you know, as, as a legacy of ROH, I mean, just the, the amazing talent pool that came up through that company and that were developed there and went out into other companies. I'll see your... Brian Nelson, CM Punk, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles, um, Jay Lethal, uh, Chris Sabin, Shelley. Like, there's so many amazing guys there. And also, my favorite stuff was uh, Nigel McGuinness and his run as champion, his feud with Brian Danielson, Brian Danielson's run there, um, him being a heel, the, the small package run. Uh, you know, I have Tell Five, um, you know, some of the earlier pure wrestling stuff. Uh, was great. Uh, Joe versus Punk matches; those were all um, great stuff. Um, just there's so so many great moments, especially kind of like you mentioned that pre 2010 Ring of Honor. So many great feuds and matches. Those so so, so there's some that come to mind. Obviously, you know, pre that you know the Elite era was pretty great, and uh, the Bucks and Briscoes on all the crazy ladder wars they had. Um, Kevin Owens and Generico. Uh, they're they're crazy refuse. There's so many great stuff in in the R, that ROH vault. Yeah, and I mean it's hard not to be affected by it or like uh, exposed to it. But like I wouldn't even go as far as to say like I'm the expert when it comes to ROH and you know their whole history, legacy, or anything like that. But I mean, Jeremy brought up a lot of great points um, as far as like favorite matches. Um, for me, it's got to be Joe versus Kenta. Yeah. That's probably my all-time favorite, like, ROH match. Uh, my favorite show, I don't know. That's a tough one. There's, um, I don't know, Driven. Um, that's one of their, like, really good shows from that time period. Uh, some of the Supercards of Honor have been, like, blow away. I mean, I don't know. That's a tough one to answer. Yeah, this Who, so many who's your stuff. ROH Mount Rushmore? I think for me, it's got to be like definitely Joe. Brian's got to be on there. Definitely Danielson. I think Those I, two are like you can't argue against. Right. I think you got to go Punk. Possibly, yeah. And then you put the Young Bucks head on as together, like both of them conjoined. <laughs> yeah, they count as one. <laughs> No, maybe Daniels. Yeah, you could go Fallen Angel. Could uh, go Loki. Yeah. Um, Homicide. Yeah. There's some. I don't know, man. It's a tough one. Yeah, that that fourth spot would be, would be tough to. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the one thing I wonder though is what's going to happen with their uh, library and everything like that. Right, there's been several rumors that the tape library is up for sale for the the biggest bidder. Um, so, obviously, I think it'd be make more sense for AEW to get that. They would they would get the rights to all in, and you look at their talent roster. Several of their their rosters had uh, history in ROH. You could do a lot of cool 
documentaries and compilations of also guys like Brian and Daniels and the Bucks and Kenny and all that stuff. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, but you know, I hope ROH continues on. I mean, if you told me in twenty twenty, if you told me in twenty eleven that by twenty twenty one Impact would be like kind of semi thriving, and ROH would be like on the brink of like shutting down, I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> Yeah, that that's just that's crazy to think about. That freaking Impact Wrestling is is outlasting Ring of Honor. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, uh, next uh, news item here: uh, Katsuro Shibata did an interview with Tokyo Sports and talked about a comeback as a wrestler. He said basically that he wanted to show hope during COVID times for doing the surprise match. He said his desire for a full-time comeback has grown stronger and he lives his life one step at a time and thinks a comeback is getting closer and that he needs a goal. He said he is not giving up on his dream to wrestle again. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that it's, uh, you know, inspiring to kind of see where it goes. I don't know if it means for sure that he's going to, you know, take the jump back into wrestling full-time. Although, I mean... Again, them doing that match with him and Zach kind of and the comments he made previously show you the intent of him and the company to, you know, basically, you know, restart him as a wrestler. But uh, we'll just have to wait and see at this point, really. Yeah, I'm hoping he gets cleared. And if he does, it'll be awesome. So in other news, the uh, strong openweight champion, Filthy Tom Lawler, he is no longer under MLW contract. So. It'll be interesting to see how that affects him going forward. It'll be interest, interesting to see how it affects Court Bauer going forward. <laughs> dude, you want to talk about grifters, dude? Freaking Court Bauer's like the biggest grifter of them all. <laughs> Not bigger than Okada or Naito. <laughs> uh, new Japan has announced a new YouTube series that debuted this past Monday on their English language channel called NJPW Extra which will primarily be a news and highlight show, uh, according to the announcement, but each week an inclusive match will air on the show. The November 1st episode featured the dark match from August's resurgent show from L.A., which was Jordan Clearwater, Kevin Knight, and the DKC, taking on the Stray Dog Army, Bateman Mysterioso, and Barrett Brown. Then the November 8th episode will feature Will Ospreay versus Alex Zane from the New Japan Showdown tapings in Philadelphia earlier in October. Oh, so we get to see that match. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I was figuring it was just going to be on strong, but I guess they're saving it for this uh, NJPW extra gimmick. Yeah, that makes uh, business sense. Yep. Give away a big match like that on uh, YouTube. Um, also, I mean, the cool thing with this show, you watch it, you don't have to listen to Keeping a Strong Style anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I saw the first episode. I mean, it was fine. <laughs> Not not a replacement at all. <laughs> um, Monday free match of the week: Finn Juice versus God from the 2020 World Tag League of Finals. So get get into it. Gotta see that match. <laughs> uh, Jeff Cobb's returning to Beyond Wrestling on Sunday, November seventh, for the Reverse the Curse show in Somerville, Massachusetts, where he will face Wheeler, Utah. Will Ospreay's returning to Warrior Wrestling on December twelfth. In uh, Tinley Park, Illinois, West Coast Pro Wrestling announced Jeff Cobb versus Chris Dickinson as the main event of the November 12th San Francisco show at the State Room. 
Uh, TJP was in Mexico this past week working Arena Mexico main events on 1022 and 1024 on 1022. He and Templario lost to Vordor Jr. and Teton. And on 10-24, he teamed with Cavanario, your man, to beat Atlantis Jr. and Huegas. Um, nice. We had a uh, crazy fight show coming up here on uh, 11-20, November 20th, for Ryzen. 55-year-old comedian Bobby Oligon, who was one of the draws of uh, big draws of pride during his heyday on television, returns to face Katsuya Kitamura. Kitamura, who's 35, he was the 2017 Observer Rookie of the Year. We all know that he was a muscular freak, and also we all thought that there was great things coming for him, uh, potential future IWGP champion, but then all the random stories about what happened to him, and he disappeared, but now he's back doing this freak fight. What do you think about this, Josh? My money's on Olegon right now, but we'll see what happens. Do you think this is going to be the return of Kitamura to, to wrestling? Possibly. I mean, if he uh, draws well, I mean, he's got the look. Or if he wins, even more importantly, um, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, potentially some of these pro companies come, you know, calling. Um, so we'll see what happens coming out of that. But, yeah, him and Bobby Olegon, really interesting. In other news, MLW is uh, back in talks with the crash about doing a show in Tijuana. And how this relates to New Japan, there was an interesting political note. Uh, MLW wanted Will Ospreay to work those Tijuana tapings, but New Japan would not let Ospreay work if any AAA personnel was on the show. So I think, you know, we saw earlier the the uh, a few months ago kind of the comments from CMLL and New Japan that are still working together. So we're kind of seeing that commitment is still there. New Japan is committed to the CMLL relationship. The, last week on Impact, our good friend Rocky Romero, he challenged for the X Division Championship against Trey Miguel. Uh, unfortunately, he did not uh, beat Trey and become X Division champ, but... That's a pretty good match. Check that out from Impact. Then also we had a Bound for Glory where several New Japan guys were in losing efforts on the show and, and getting titles. Uh, ELP, Finjuice, Hikaleya, and Chris Bay were all on that show and uh, failed in their title attempts. Well, that's going to do it for the news. We're going to move on to uh, listener questions. We've got a few of them here. Uh, starting off with Sumo underscore Cerebro, he asked, also, MLW announced that they're reestablishing a working agreement with All Japan Pro Wrestling, considering that MLW was originally intended to be All Japan's U.S.-based territory when the company started years ago. Do you guys think that New Japan should be concerned? P.S. I think fans would love to see Jake Lee versus Will Ospreay anywhere. I don't think New Japan would have anything to be concerned about an MLW All Japan potential relationship. I mean, MLW, this company, they announce so many partnerships that last like one show or fall through. I mean, this whole summer they were hyping up a Dragon Gate relationship. We were going to get this big Dragon Gate MLW partnership. That never happened. We've seen them, you know, do stuff with the crash and then not do stuff with the crash and then try to do stuff with AAA and they're trying to do Lucha Underground and. They're doing all kind of stuff, and so who knows if they do end up working with All Japan and how long that will last. Um, 
and you know that they were they were able to kind of you know grift everybody into thinking that they they had a, a full term Vice TV deal when it only ended up being one special that only did forty four thousand viewers. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't think New Japan would have anything to worry about with this. I mean, I would have to take a look at like all Japan's TV deal and the kind of like business they're doing, and then kind of look at MLWs. And consider if even if they were combined in some way, how would that pose a threat to New Japan? Right. <laughs> like it, it really doesn't. So, no, I, I don't think that they're even too worried about it. And you brought up great points about the, you know, fragility of their different um, partnerships. But I mean, just because they were all Japan's US based partner slash territory in 2001, that was 20 years ago. It's not even like barely the same company anymore. Right. Neither neither of them are the same company anymore. So, uh, yeah, no, I don't think that there's any concerns uh, coming from Bushi Road. Uh, Fit Beautiful um, two six three eight asked with Impact AW relationship going on indefinite hiatus. Do you think that this affects NJPW at all and their relationship with either? Uh, they seem to be very close with Impact. Interesting question. We kind of, you know, touched about it, touched on it a little bit earlier, but I mean, as of right now, I don't think it's going to uh, have any um, impact <laughs> on the relationship. Um, obviously, we, we saw Suzuki; he's doing the tapings. Rocky was just on the last set of tapings. Uh, we're seeing Impact guys on strong, so I think that's going to. I think New Japan of America is being very open to kind of work with whoever and not really having set boundary lines yeah the fact that they're not all together a unified sort of like uh i don't know i don't i don't remember what they called it the iwgb conception that was the deal between them and rep pro roh cmll uh, i don't think that they're like a unified body in that way where their dealings with one company affects their dealings with another company you know in that sense so right uh, I, I think that whatever relationship they have with either company is kind of intact and, you know, operating independently of how they all deal with one another. Um, beyond that, I mean, so far, I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, I think most of the NJPW, AEW quote unquote dealings have been talent exchanges mostly. Right. Wow. So it's not like they've got running storylines or something like that, that, the impact stuff sort of effect, you know? Right. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, she also asked any idea if wrestlers would qualify for the new three day Japan quarantine role for business travelers. Uh, I haven't heard anything yet. Uh, maybe we can try and ask some people, but it would be interesting to see. I mean, they are going for business, so they should qualify. I, I don't know the rules on that. I guess we'll have to look more into it. Yeah. Uh, Pussy Destroyer 83619 <laughs> <laughs> said, Do you think, is this why you want me to read the questions? You don't want to be the person that reads Pussy Destroyer on the line? No, I, I've read it before, but you were, you were on a roll reading the questions. So I just. All right. Pussy Destroyer 83619. <laughs> he said, Do you think it's time to change the format of the G1? It's a great tournament. The only problem I see with it is that it runs through too many matches and most matches in the G1 are repeated already forces big names to blow off potential title matches and tournament settings Would four blocks with the six wrestler with six wrestlers be a better choice. 
They could be, you know, many four man tournaments in the G1 finals uh, to determine the winner or any other idea to shake up things in the G1. Well, I think uh, Pussy Destroyer 83619 is a, a new listener and they probably have not heard your uh, plan of shaking up the, the G1. Yeah, but it's not for the same reason necessarily, but I think some of the same benefits outlined are, are similar. You know, here's the thing, you know, the G1 has done four, four uh, block tournaments before in the past. A lot of people maybe don't realize that. Like the the formats of the G1 Climax have been varying since the very beginning. I mean, we had single block tournaments, double block tournaments, you know, uh, single elimination tournaments, four four blocks, two blocks, you know. We've had times where the f- top four finalists face off in weird playoffs to go to the finals, all, all sorts of different like formats. So, I mean, they could change it, but it's not like it's unprecedented, you know? Right. You just want to quickly recap your, your idea. Um, mine basically was very similar to this. It's like you have um, six men in four blocks. You get 24, participants so you can include more people with that number you get to you know like you mentioned you blow off less big matches protect more of those matches you get to have the wrestlers perform at an optimum level but they have maybe less nights to perform um so it's better for their health uh the company gets to promote more shows so they make more money i mean there's a lot of benefits there yeah i mean I would love that it's get more guys in and save matches. And uh, also think, you know, he mentioned about, you know, not fresh matchups. I think we just haven't seen a, a ton of new people, especially with the pandemic, new guys able to get in to get new matchups, but obviously having smaller blocks would, would help that problem too. I was thinking the same thing. You know, I think once the world is more open, it's not going to be uncommon to see some outsiders from the States, especially with the new Japan of America connection, you know, kind of liven things up going forward. So, I mean, they could do this, but, I mean, they don't have to. I mean, they're fine either way. Right. Racing Falcon said, Suddenly, everyone who's been IWGB champion disappears. That includes the new version of the belt, too. Uh, you must pick five current NJPW wrestlers to become the new pillars of NJPW. Who would you your picks be? Um, probably go. So, so he's saying anybody that's ever been IWGP champion just – Okay, including the new belt, they're just gone. So we have to pick the five new pillars based on people. Yeah. Going to go uh, Umino, Narita, Fredericks, uh, Yumora, and Connors. So you're picking all young lines. So you wouldn't pick someone that, like, is a upper mid tier guy that like just hasn't held the belt. Like say a Sonata. Nah, we, we already, we, we roasted that man last week. I would never pick Sonata. <laughs> okay. I'll just, I'll roll with you. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what guys I would be picking that haven't held the belt yet. You know? Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, the dark soldier asked us, he said, uh, asking another real question here. Whatever happened to Mikey Nichols? He was with Chaos. We haven't seen him in so long. Is this another example of Okada's poor leadership? <laughs> yeah, I just think the deal with Nichols is just uh, the lockdown where he's from. He's Australian, right? Um, Something like that. 
Yeah, but also, also I don't know what his contract situation was either. Um, yeah, it wasn't like he was lighting the world on fire. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I have heard that he was doing some good work in, uh, you know, Australia uh, last year. I think we might have considered one of his uh, excursion matches as a match, excursion match of the year contender. I don't remember, but, um, you know, other than that, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be like too disappointed if he didn't come back, to be honest. Same here. <laughs> uh, speaking of chaos, with there being no chaos mole, should Okada have introduced a bullet club mole to psych out Jay White and bullet club? <laughs> My answer to you is how do you know he didn't? Right. Yes. It wasn't, no. uh, you know, publicized, you know who the, the chaos mole has been all these years, right? Yeah. Ujiro. Ah, Spanny Jiro, you know, they, they psyched, they, it was a double cross, bro. That time when he made uh, Okada lose to AJ, that was setting them up. They never saw it was coming. Double cross, <laughs> swerve. Well, I mean, Yujiro could be the more. I mean, he's always jumping groups. He, uh, he jumped to Chaos, the Bull Club. Now he's jumping to House of Torture. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably Yujiro. Bro, he jumped from Bull Club to Elite back to Bull Club. I was, yeah, I forgot about that jump. Yeah. <laughs> Don Pumi 101 said, time for some fight talk. And it's fight week times two. Thoughts on the up undisputed super middleweight clash between Canelo Alvarez and uh, Caleb Sweethands Plant. This is going to be a, a tight fight, and I think Canelo unfortunately be the winner. But I'm rooting for Plant to get the win because it's time for, Cane- for Canelo to eat some humble pie with his self-entitled diva behind. Um. I guess my answer to that is I pretty much agree with everything you're saying. I, I like Caleb Plant. I think he's an impressive guy. I think that there's a lot of like um, hypocrisy when people were kind of judging the way that he was, you know, speaking at the press conferences to Canelo when Canelo did things very similar in the past and people praised him for it. But then, you know, Caleb Plant is uh, disrespectful, you know, kind of that double talk sort of thing. But yeah. I think Canelo's probably going to beat Caleb, and um, that will be that. He'll be the undisputed middleweight champion, which we haven't had one since, like, I don't know, Jermaine Taylor. So uh, the next question he asked were thoughts on the upcoming fight between Kamaro, the Nigerian Nightmare Usman, and Colby Piece of Shit Covington. <laughs> that will take place at MSG on UFC 268. I'm rooting for Usman to break uh, Colby's jaw again and get the win again. Uh, Jeremy, or yeah, Jeremy. I know you watch a little UFC, so you probably have some thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, both guys are, are good fighters. I mean, we kind of have a, a running joke uh, with some of the guys that I, I watch UFC with that I always, you know, back the black fighters. Us. Oh my god. <laughs> so you know, I gotta you know back the Nigerian nightmare here. Well, yeah, I mean. Usman has just looked better and better and better every single fight. So, I mean, I'm kind of afraid of the version that Colby Covington might be fighting come 268. The first fight they had was a match of the year contender. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, also, that whole Colby Covington piece of shit, don't get work, bro. I'm pretty sure his whole, like, shtick is a fucking it's, work. It's a gimmick, you know? yeah. It's a gimmick. Uh, last thing he said here. This is not a fighter question, but... This is a fighter to look out for, and his name is Jaron Jaron Boots Enos. He's a mixture of both Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. 
with Roy Jones like talent. And I think that it's possible that he could be, uh, beat both Crawford and Spence. Here's a highlight clip of the man that's known as Boots. So I don't know, man. Um, if he doesn't come out here and like fucking whoop one of these <laughs> welterweight champions. <laughs> I'm uh I'm gonna think less of you, Dom Homie one one. So I appreciate your downloads, but I don't appreciate your uh opinions unless this man comes out here and proves he's the truth. So <laughs> boots come on down. I gotta check out this uh did you watch this dude's YouTube channel? No, I haven't watched it yet. All right, we'll have to look at it. But uh I mean bro, he said he's like Roy Jones mixed with Spence and Crawford. Like what the fuck? <laughs> Sounds like a creative player. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like Sugar Ray Robinson. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> uh, Hawaiian Punch BV had a series of questions. He said, thoughts on Josh Barnett making an appearance on NJPW Strong Challenging Alex Coughlin. So, uh, Who else? Yeah, we, we oh, answered yeah. that one earlier. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I thought we discussed that. Okay, he had some fight talk as well. He said, um, what did you think of Peter Jan's performance this past weekend? Who can beat him after he uh, downloads a couple rounds into that fighting supercomputer called his brain? Did you watch any of the UFC this weekend? I did not. I know about, he's going to ask about the next Black Lovers to share. I I saw that, but yeah, I haven't saw anything else. Yeah, um, I I don't know. I didn't see UFC 267. I know, I, I think it was available for you know, it wasn't pay-per-view. I think it was available on ESPN plus, but, uh, yeah, it was also like two o'clock in the afternoon. That's not uncommon for some of those overseas shows. I didn't, I didn't know where it was. <laughs> I don't know where it was either, but it was at two. I know it was at two. Um, but yeah, I, I saw an infographic. It looked like Peter Yan beat up Corey Sanhagen and beat him pretty. I mean, the scorecards read that it was unanimous. So I don't know what to think with that one, but, uh, yeah, Peter Yan is a guy, he does definitely have a supercomputer for a brain because <laughs> he f- figures out guys even through, you know, uh, adversity and makes adjustments and just picks guys apart. It's kind of scary. Mm. Um, next thing, he asked Glover T- uh, Tachera winning the title and Fedor uh, winning his possible next fight. Um, that one, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the deal is with Fedor. I thought Fedor just beat a uh, well, younger guy. Right? Yeah, he said, what do, you, what do you think of old guys getting it done in MMA? Glover Teixeira winning the title and Fedor winning his possible final fight. Oh, okay. I didn't see that part. These There's a bunch of bullet points, so it makes it confusing. For yeah, I, 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 it came in late, so I tried to copy it in and paste it in real quick so it didn't come out right. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, um, Fedor knocks someone out. Fucking awesome. Glover Tachira. I told someone back in like 2009, 2010, I thought he was going to be the answer to John Jones. The one guy that could like kind of handle him. I was wrong at the time, but I did tell people he was going to be a future UFC light heavyweight champion. I was just like basically almost seven or eight years late. You were ahead. <laughs> I was ahead, but I was wrong. <laughs> But um, yeah, that's pretty fucking awesome to see him uh, beat Lahovich. So hey, it's twenty twenty one. Olds on top. O O T. Year of the olds. Then he asks, "Who do you got uh, in a super exciting fight between Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje this weekend?" And I don't know. I will go with uh, Gaethje because I I know Chandler's great, but. Gaethje's kind of proved to me, you know, he's top tier 
special guy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to go with Chandler, especially, you know, he's only had so very little fights in the UFC so far. I know he's had, I mean, obviously, came from Bellator, right? Uh, he did, yes. Yes, I know he's had a great career there, but I haven't seen much of him in UFC. And also, we've seen a ton of Gaethje and big fights and just the, the amount of punishment he can take and keep going and then you know potentially come back and win fights. So I think the safe bet would be to go with uh, Gaethje. Yeah, I mean, Chandler is a special fighter as well, but I just, uh, I don't know. I just, I got a feeling about Justin Gaethje. Yeah, I feel like Chandler might be like the more quote unquote, like technically sound of the two of them, but I feel like Gaethje would do something that's like more kind of wild, he's kind of more kind of wild and crazy. Well, we'll see what happens with that one. Then last thing to close the show out here, recommended match of the week. So last week I recommended for us to watch the Never Openweight title match from Power Struggle 2013. Tetsuya Naito defending the Never title. And also I think his write uh, the challenge contract against Masato Tanaka. From which show? From uh, Power Struggle 2013. Did you... Uh, Get a chance to watch this match? No, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I watched it. I thought it was a really good matchup. Um, Was this your first time seeing it? Because I have seen it in the past. Yeah, it's my first time seeing it. I had not seen this match before. Um, And thought it started off with really some good chain wrestling there. And then to me, I thought it was kind of funny. Like, I think uh, Masato got got tired of that. Like, screw this. We're, We're going hardcore. You know, goes outside, pulls a table out. He, like, smashes uh, Naito in the head of a kendo stick. Puts uh, Naito through a table uh, with a splash from the top to the outside. Uh, Naito's bleeding, and then uh, pretty much, you know, he's kind of this bay face fighting from underneath, and Tanaka's just slapping the, the crap out of him, beating the crap out of him, and then, you know, Naito's firing up, and it kind of turns into more of a traditional lever style. These guys are just giving uh, hard blows, hard chops, hard uh, palm slaps to the face. Uh, there was a crazy neck bump where uh, Tanaka lariated uh, Naito on the apron. Naito did a crazy neck bump on the apron. Uh, and then it's kind of going back and forth until uh, Naito hit the Stardust Press and got the win here. Really good match. 15 minutes, hard hitting. You had gimmicks. You had juice. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, this was actually their third match that year. They had wrestled, uh, I think, at Kazuna Road and Destruction for the Never title previously and so this was sort of like the rubber match blow off to their little mini 2013 feud and yeah i do remember it being very violent uh on the outside with the bleeding and the table spot um the one thing that i always that stood out to me from this match was how hard these guys worked but how the crowd was so anti-naito at this point yeah which like really shines through, and I mean, you watched the G one climax final with him and Tanahashi just prior to this, and I mean, you you think this guy's gonna be like the next big thing, and then suddenly he's getting booed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of uh kind of surprising. I think ultimately, I do like their destruction match the best. That's the second match. That's the one where uh, Naito wins the never title initially, uh, which was kind of a big deal at the time, but um. This match is still good. It's just, I, I do think it's uh, a unique, like it kind of holds a unique place in history because it's really part of that character building um, phase from, you know, Naito sort of transitioning from Stardust to 
Tranquilo, you know? Right. Well, do you have a uh, recommended match of the week for us this week? Um, no, let's take the week off and I'll give you guys a match <laughs> next week. All right. So, yeah, use this week to uh, catch up on any wrestling that you uh, may have missed. I mean, New Japan World is throwing up tons of stuff from Impact and Rev Pro and all their partners, AEW. And uh, get ready for a power struggle uh, this weekend. And Absolutely. That's uh, going to uh, wrap things up for here, us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to review Power Struggle, and then we'll preview Battle in the Valley and World Tag League and Best of the Super Junior. <laughs> so if you enjoy, <laughs> what are you going to say? I was just going to say, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be a busy November, uh, 19 shows this month. So tons of tons of shows, tons of content here. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash social suplex. You can also find us on Facebook in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle on instagram we're at suplex on reddit on the pro black guy just keeping a strong style you can email me jeremy at social suplex.com check out our discord channel the link for that is in the description of the show and check out all the other shows that we have here on the social suplex podcast network one nation radio hosted by rich Lada and james boyd the grave consequences podcast of caleb and maserati 8-Bit Suplex with Josh, number two. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. The Great Match Generator with Danny. And starting soon, the AEW Match Guide podcast with Sir Sam Brown. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.